good creature. Welcome everyone to November 25th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. Lately I have found myself, uh, when waking up in the morning, sometimes from a dream I don't remember. I don't remember any of the details, yet I try to stay very still because I'm left with a felt sense that something happened in the dream that has this component that is magical, that is otherworldly, that feels like I used to feel so long ago I forgot I used to feel like that. And sometimes the details will start to slip in and they make no sense and they're casual conversations and they are nothing like the felt sense that I imagined. Yet I try to get back because I know if I fall back to sleep and go back into the dream and wake up, no matter what the details are, it will feel like I'm coming back from a far away land and it has that otherworldly imaginative quality that I have forgotten that I miss so much. Call it an introvert impulse. Call it oh, being wired for something different than what other people seem to be. I don't know, but I remember as a child Outside was not outside. It was a great fantasy world where we built stories and characters based off of our imagination after watching the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord, the Lord of the Rings. The trampoline was never a trampoline. It was a wrestling ring where my brother and I created characters for 10 years or more. Nothing in this world as an object that is could match what it could be imagined to be. Problem is, it's hard to monetize that impulse towards imagination. So somewhere you submit to the world and you say, yes, it makes sense to spend my life hour after hour after hour working a job that you tell me to work, going to meetings that you tell me and just never ask the question like, why are we doing this? Because the whole thing might fall in on itself, but it just makes sense for me to live this life. So we take that internal self, that imagined self, that felt sense, we tie it to a balloon and we let it float away. Ladies and gentlemen, for the last however long we've been doing this show, I can't say I've gotten back maybe to the deepest childhood impulses and imaginations, but I feel like at times I've moved in next door to that old place. Yes, we know there's ugly reality behind the scenes in the WWF that we destroyed every single territory that could exist in order to build what we built in the 1980s. But what we're talking about is what we see on the screen. And for all these years, WrestleMania 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, throughout the 80s, I have seen on display without even the need of my imagination, a world that exists but feels like so much more. We have met Andre the Giant, who is larger than larger than life. Yet he's a loyal friend of Bobby Heenan and the family. We've met a man called Brain, who's also called Weasel, who stands up to men twice his size, but sometimes could sell his own family into slavery. 
we meet men like Bret Hart, who is going to be a fictional character on a stage with so-called non-fictional fans in the crowd. Yet somehow he'll take his sunglasses off as a fictional character and put them in the hands of a so-called non-fictional fan who's going to go home with material from that fictional world. We meet the big boss, man. We meet Dusty Rose. We meet Slick. We meet all of these people who are larger than life. And we're taught over the years to call it escapism when it's not like the world. But what if it is in some ways more real than the world that we exist in? What if it is speaking to impulses and imaginations and things that are inside of us that are more real than the things we actually try to articulate out of them? All of this is my way to say that this is the last episode from the 1980s. We are closing a book that we will not get to open again. Next week we will do an entire tribute show because we don't want these things to slip away without the attention they deserve, without being able to sit in these kind of moments as long as we can. I want to tell you something for all the changes we've talked about, for all the ups and the downs, there is still power. There is still imagination. There is still life in the 1980s as we go out. Bret Hart is emerging. Mr. Perfect is emerging. Hulk Hogan is in a storyline that matters again. Dusty Rose is with the big boss men. The brain busters are with the rockers. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to the final episode of the 1980s of the WWF. It is the November 25th episode of Saturday night's main event, along with some great bonus material that we are going to bring to you. Tonight, we have the Brainbusters and the Rockers one final time as we say goodbye to Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard for many, 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 many years, essentially forever. We have Mr. Perfect, we have Dusty Rhodes, Big Boss Man, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ultimate War, all sorts of Things that embody the 80s, but perhaps none more so than the energy that my colleague has brought to this show, to that magical feeling that you can only get from a decade of wrestling, which has all the life and perhaps means as much today as it did when it happened, the 1980s. I'm very excited for this show. I'm excited very much for next week's show, where we are going to reflect on this decade. There's incredible energy here. And it's energy that I think we all need right now because we are stuck in that world that we all agreed to be part of. The 80s says, no, that world is not the most important thing. Look at all the colors. Look at all the feelings. Look at all we have for you instead of that world. And, man, that's a very nice thing to have sometimes. It is. It is so much. Uh, I want to appreciate it while it's here. All of us can let something slip away and then be like, you know what? That thing I can't go back to, that was kind of awesome. But 
you know, we're going to enjoy it while it's here. We're going to celebrate it while it's here. And you said something that's so important because it matches what I was thinking when I woke up this morning. Uh, WWF in the 80s, it feels no different to me in 2020 as it did when I found it in 1991. So it's not... This thing like, oh, I miss it because it was so far ago and it's so different than now. I miss it, as you just said, because of a combination of colors and feelings and characters and just a felt sense product, you know, where these people are reaching for things that are beyond them. Bobby Heenan is eternally reaching for something that it feels like he's never going to get. You know, Andre the Giant, the face the reactions, the things he does, Hulk Hogan, all of these guys and gals, sensational Sherry, they reach beyond what we feel like sometimes we're able to reach for ourselves. But again, we still have this impulse for more, to feel more, to know more, to experience more. And that's why to me it's more than escapism. It registers because it's speaking to a part of us that is still there even if it feels shut down and just put to bed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, whew, I think it's a part of us uh, we could all afford to get in contact with right now because uh, say what you will about the 80s, but it was a very optimistic time, a very energetic time, and I think uh, we could all use some of that energy right now. So maybe that connection um is also one of necessity i don't know but uh it gives me a positive energy so that's all i can really say about it yeah it, to me i won't i won't keep on on this thread but it, when, when in the best of this era we did not call them baby face and heel it was not a ploy to simply disrupt and try something different it was that if you took bobby heenan's story from bobby heenan's perspective this is, he's the same man as Hulk Hogan. You know, he's just a different human being, but it's the same path, the same desires. So I would gladly, in some ways, you know, from an intellectual standpoint, say they, they were both kind of heels. But, you know, <laughs> they were both adventurers and explorers and they were both liars. But they are also like fiction and like godly creators in their lives because half the time they told lies that materialized, you know. It's just phenomenal stuff to watch. It's phenomenal theater. Uh, I don't know why, but Bret Hart putting those sunglasses for the first time I saw in the series on a fan, like that blew my mind. Everything's blowing my mind right now because, I don't know, I think I'm really realizing, you know, we're in the heart of this thing and it will not last forever. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely picked up on that moment as well. It's a sign of things to come, but it's also a sign of... uh of things as they are in this moment that we are watching. I love what you said about taking a piece of that fictional world home with you as material. There's something about this that bridges um, from one thing to another. Like, you can't... You, you read Harry Potter, you read Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, and you're not, you're not bringing home, um, you know, Father Christmas's gifts or uh, anything that you might get from those books. I don't know. Pro wrestling, there's something very special about it. There's a reason that we spend so much time, so much energy, so much thought on this stuff. It can be very transcendent. And I think, uh, we're feeling that right now in particular. Yeah. I'm willing to humble myself in one way to, 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 to have the listeners know 
how real I am being about this. When I look at 1980s, it's the closest thing that I can ever imagine um, in a positive light to what might have been meant by sports entertainment. And I hate that phrase. I hate everything seemingly that comes from it. But I am humble enough to say that when I look at this, it's not quite professional wrestling. Uh, it's also not not professional wrestling, which is, is what complicates that argument. But I'm just saying there's a lot of things I'm going to say about Vince McMahon, for instance, that's going to be negative in this series. But if I take the best of what his vision was, it has to exist in what we have covered for the last however many months months and or years. Yeah, it's a it's a very abused um, phrase, and uh, I always felt bad for the phrase sports entertainment because if you just look at the words, it's pretty good and descriptive of you know what professional wrestling actually is. Um, although you don't always want to call it what it is, so to speak, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a phrase that's been uh, abused a lot. It's been used for things it shouldn't have been used for. It's been used as an excuse for some uh, really bad stuff, some really stupid stuff, some crimes against uh, wrestling, as we might call them out. But um, I, I definitely know what you mean by that. And I think, yeah, you only have to look at this era to understand how that is supposed to work as opposed to the ways that it will not work in the future. Yeah. If you let it be what it is, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, is it sports? Yes, it's sports. Is it entertainment? Yes, it's entertainment. And that's awesome together. Like, awesome. But we also know language is often used in ways that go beyond their definitions. And I think sometimes it's wielded as a weapon to destroy a lot of things historically that a lot of people have cared about. Mm. But when you see it for what it can be and it fits the definition and it goes forward like that, you know, it's... There's going to be moments where it's, it's, it's going to be closer to an athletic competition. Like we're going to have WrestleManias where men wrestle for one hour at a time. But there's also times where it's going to be more like the circus than anything that you've ever seen. Like, you know, they're trotting out like characters and animals and stunts, you know. And it's just when you blend all of that stuff just right. Like, I don't even know. I'll never I'll die I will die. I will be placed in a grave without being able to explain what it means when we talk about the colors, oh, the colors, the felt sense. But I know what it feels like. And one thing I'm tired of in my life is having to explain to someone else in a satisfactory manner why something matters when I understand it in my embodied experiential felt sense. Yeah, the longer I live, the more I feel like um, a lot of times you either get it or you don't, you know, <laughs> and you, people people will experience something with you or they won't, and if they don't experience it, you can't tell them necessarily, but uh, it's definitely my hope that all the listeners are experiencing along with us, and uh, these words that we speak are just a way to enhance that experience, that understanding, that uh, feeling that we are all having together that is pulling us closer as human beings. Absolutely. That's so well said. You know, I, we, you don't stop appreciating when you go to a, an amazing forums, www.lopforums.com, but forums in 2020, you know, sometimes that's not where people are, for example, mm -hmm. but you go to a thread 
that consistently has people who are offering content as deep, if not deeper, than what we're offering on the show. And you know everybody's touching something. And for some of them, they are touching childhood because they lived in the 80s as wrestling fans. But yet even they are are disrupting that in that they'll tell you this is what I felt back then. This is what I feel right now. This is what is emerging right now. I have argued in one of my classes that everything that we do as human beings is storytelling All of it, we are emergent creatures and we're not healthy unless we are emerging something. And all we try to do in the legacy series is touch down shovels in hand on something and then emerge it through conversation, articulation, the dialogic, the relational, make it understood and expressed the best that we can uh, through this show. Absolutely. Um, The content that we have gotten back that has enhanced our own understanding has been a beautiful thing. And I thank everybody who's contributed and everyone who will contribute because we'll be asking for more contributions for next week's show. But yeah, just um, the way personally that I have experienced this era um, after experiencing it once on my own, not even that long ago, and then to experience it again in another new way and to be just as interested the second time um it's really uh, it's a wonderful thing I, I have a great time with it it gives me very positive feelings at a time when i need them and uh, it's just a great thing to do for me yeah I, I am i'm having experiences too that i wouldn't have because we're gonna talk about the bonus stuff in just a moment and we keep getting rick martell for example uh, yes i had very few uh thoughts on rick martell going into the series and man he, he's blown me away you know I have said so many times that people probably think it's BS when I say it that, oh, eventually I'm going to praise Bret Hart. Eventually I'm going to praise Bret Hart. Well, we're coming up to the time now that I'm going to praise Bret Hart. But if Ms. Van didn't continually put matches in front of my face that allowed me to gauge Bret Hart 1987, Bret Hart 1988, Bret Hart 89 or Rick Martel, you know, so on and so forth, it wouldn't happen. So this is this is in a way, like I said at the beginning of the show, a deeply personal um imaginative individual thing but then when you can pair it up with other people who dream at least in the same realm that you do that's when you can start producing a bigger world outside of our imaginations and into this actual world that looks a little bit more like something that satisfies us versus something that we just you know work away at until we're old enough to stop working and or die (laughs) (laughs) until we're old enough to die indeed Uh, (laughs) i'm really glad we've been able to cover a lot of this bonus material um in uh, more recent episodes my only regret is that we didn't start sooner because i know we left some uh, wonderful stuff on the table but that's all right we were only human we can only do our best and uh man there's some very great stuff to cover and we're gonna try to keep bringing a lot of good bonus stuff, although uh, there's some barriers to that. Primetime Wrestling stops at 89 on the network um, soon. Uh, well, not soon, but eventually they'll stop having these Saturday Night Main events. We'll have to figure out what we're going to do then. But, yeah, I mean, uh, when you talk about unearthing, you always want to try to dig deeper below the surface if you possibly can, and that's what this bonus material is. These are extra expeditions that give us more insight give us uh, more truths, and uh, I love doing them. So there's a lot of great stuff in here that we get to cover. Yeah, one of the old authors, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, said, no surprise 
for the author, no surprise for the reader. And if you are unearthing and you want to articulate it, how deep do you unearth? Unearth until you surprise yourself. Unearth until you touch something you did not know was down there. And if you can do that, then you have something to give to people that will in likewise perhaps and often surprise and at least make them think too like oh my god that was down there in the 1980s yeah i mean I, the shovel hit it i i can't argue with what the shovel makes contact with mm, mm, yeah <laughs> that's a great way to put it yeah a lot of times i've definitely surprised myself over the course of the shows we've done together and uh, i like to think that only improves the show itself for everyone else. If I was just here confirming all the things I already thought, then, you know, I'd kind of be wasting my time, but there's yeah. a lot of stuff that is new and it's fresh and, uh, you can think about it in a new way. And there's, there's just a lot of value, uh, to me in examining this stuff as closely as we do. Okay. So we are about to get into it. Ms. Van's going to bring us some amazing bonus stuff. And I have two wrestling related questions. I don't know if they'll stump him or if he'll answer them easily, but they are in the vein of, I think last week or the week before I asked you, Barry Windham or Mr. Perfect I have a couple more questions that will come up as the bonus footage rolls along. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. Bring it, bring it on when we get there. Okay, so yeah, let's dive directly into this bonus footage. As I mentioned, this uh, episode is primarily around November 25th, 1989, Saturday Night's main event. But we have four matches from before that time. All of them can be found on Primetime Wrestling, which has been a great resource of this stuff. Um, but uh, I'm sure we will continue to find stuff even after Primetime is no longer so readily available. Or the network could just do me a favor and put up mm. more Primetime because Primetime is one of the greatest things they ever produced. Yeah. And they should put all of it on the network immediately. And that's my opinion. So, <clears throat> all right. We got our first match that we're going to cover. It is one that has been referenced uh, in a couple of ways, actually, uh, on both sides. We have Rick Martell taking on Bret Hart on the October 16th episode of Primetime Wrestling. And I feel like you might have a little bit to say about this one, so I want to I wanna let you start off here with our first match. Okay. And is there a particular reason you think that? Or well, why, you mentioned why? Martell. You mentioned okay. Brett. You know, I, I just feel like, um, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what do you got for this one? No, that's fair. Uh, I will just say, number one, off the top, I keep forgetting that Slick is with Rick Martell. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know if something happened to make that so. And I don't know how long they'll be together and how well they'll work together, but uh, that threw me off a little bit at the beginning. Oh yeah, he's with Slick. Uh, so I go into this matchup with not really great expectations or bad expectations. I I make all these matches, you know, I try to start in a neutral position because sometimes they deliver, sometimes they don't. But what I have noticed from the bonus footage, I don't know if it's simply that in one of these matches, Bret Hart puts the glasses on or that his outfit looks a little more slick. The colors look a little better or he looks like he's in better shape or he's been doing this longer. But Bret Hart is full on IC champion Bret Hart at this point. And that's an amazing Bret Hart. He has he 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 failed to level up, in my opinion, for a lot of years. And then he leveled up like five years in one time. So. <laughs> Very pleased with Bret Hart today. It's a praise Bret Hart day. Rick Martell. Ah, could Rick Martell be a powerhouse wrestler? Does he have the physique for that? I think he does. Could he be a technical wrestler? Yes, he is. Could he be a wrestler based in speed? Yes, he could. 
that the thing that kind of blew my mind is that you could place Rick Martel on three different paths as a wrestler, and he could do all of them. I don't really know how many wrestlers can do that, Miss Fan. Uh, you are correct about that. The talents of Rick Martel continue to shine through in WWF The Legacy Series. Um, the, the guy looks phenomenal. He moves phenomenal. It just uh, the I love Rick Martel so much. One of the most gratifying things about this series so far has been uh, turning more people onto Rick Martel. We even got to do it a little bit when he showed up in 1998 and had that great like two month run in WCW. But here, I mean, we're we're closer than ever to the prime of Rick Martel. The only way it could get better is if we ever covered AWA somehow, and I don't even know how we would be able to do that. But uh, the fact that we're seeing all this great Rick Martel stuff, we're talking so positively about it, and we have still not seen the best of Rick Martel, the Rick Martel who fights Nick Bockwinkle month after month, who, who fights the Bobby Heenan family, all this great stuff. I mean, it's just a testament to how incredible this guy is and how uh, unfortunate it is that he really has no narrative except, oh, he was the model, and, you know, he was okay, you know, we... We, we always get surprised when he shows up, you know, in 94 or something. So, love Rick Martel. Love the praise for this guy. He's so much more than okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I, there's some details in the match that are amazing that we'll get into. I'm going to ask you my first question. The other one, I think, comes in the uh, perfect Brett match. Okay. This one might be impossible to answer. And with what we're going to get in Saturday night's main event, it doesn't seem like the time to ask it. And I honestly, maybe you'll have an answer right off. Maybe you won't. But you can't hire Barry Windham for your wrestling promotion. He's very offended because you chose Mr. Perfect instead of him. But now you're trying to do the details, get that money right with Mr. Perfect. And you realize, Ms. Fan, I can't have Mr. Perfect and Rick Martell in my company, and I have to make a decision. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, if it's 1989, I still got to go with Kurt Henning. Um because we're going to see in the later match, like, mm. Kurt Hennig, I'm going to call him godly more than once. You know, this this is a wrestler who is close to God in his movement at this time. Uh, if it's before 1989, like, if it's even 1988, I'm going the other way. And any time, any year you could pick before that. So I can really only answer at the right time. But I think 1989 is right when, like, the... the, the um, the tide shifts in the favor of Mr. Perfect, but that's a very difficult question. Yeah. That, that's a great challenge. So I'm under, if I'm understanding this correctly, if you're going prime versus prime, you can't make a decision. Is oh that right? God. Prime but, versus prime, like absolute prime. Ah, uh, I think I'd go with Rick Martel, and I'm actually surprised uh, to hear myself say that, but just the prime Rick Martel... I'll say it this way. I never saw Kurt Hennig so popular that, like, the arena was shaking. Like, the camera was shaking. Like, wow. I thought the building might fall down. So, Rick Martel, I'm surprised, actually. But if we're talking prime versus prime, I think I got to go with Rick Martel. Man, that's a hell of a... Whew! Because... <laughs> I I almost took the question off because I made the question before I watched Saturday Night's Main Event. Saturday Night's Main Event is going to be a freaking coming out for Mr. Perfect in a way that I never knew existed, and it's beautiful. And the only reason I made this question is, even though I thought you might say Mr. Perfect, by one inch I realized I have to say Rick Martel, and that blew my mind. Right. Because, But, again, 
like he's the total package as far as he could wrestle. He's three different wrestlers in one. Perfect's going to beat him probably every single time in as far as articulation and, you know, the character side of, like, the, the promo, you know. But I, I don't know that I even need Rick Martel to be able to do that stuff. Right. Because he, he comes off the screen, like – if you can get past like big tan and super white teeth and how they play off each other, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you got such an amazing talent just in this matchup. I will tell you that when he goes, he goes for the Boston crab and Bret Hart just spins him with his body out of the Boston crab. He goes for the Boston crab again. Bret Hart spins him the other way out of the Boston crab. He goes for the Boston crab again. Bret Hart spins him, but instead uh, the third time he lets the spin create more motion that turns Bret Hart over a second time and gets the Boston crab. And that whole sequence to me, dear God, if I'm going to watch matches, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's a wonderful thing to look at. I'll say this, you know, um, uh, Kurt Hennig and, and Rick Martel both honestly probably could have been a little better at interviews. It's probably the only thing that either of them could have really improved on. But, uh, man, both guys, I think you look at what they do in the ring and they hardly need to open their mouths. Like, they speak mm-hmm. so much with the things that they do. Kurt Hennig, I, I've definitely noticed, is so good at, like, feeding to the other guy and just uh, like showing you who he is through his actions. And then Rick Martel, like when he's fired up, he's like hovering around the ring. He doesn't even touch the ground with his feet, I think. And the way he's moving his arms and everything, it just sends out like this signal, this vibe to the crowd, to the everyone watching. And they don't need to hear anything he has to say. Like they, they will know everything they need to know about Rick Martel at that time. Okay, so we, we are putting some meat on the bones of the felt sense stuff we were talking about earlier. Because how is it that you said that Rick Martel, when he is in his zone, his feet don't touch the ground? And I've never had that thought before. But as you were saying it, I not only finished the sentence that you were saying in my mind as you said it, but I saw visuals in my mind of matches that I've watched. And I saw his boots and I saw the mat and his boots were not on the mat, Miss Fan. <laughs> I don't have that in my notes either. I don't have it. I just, it came to me and yeah, like you could see it. If you've seen Rick Martel in the zone that we're talking about, I don't see how you could disagree with, with that statement. I think Mr. Perfect will beat Rick Martel every day in a more, like he is to me more earth, more grounded. Like Rick, Mr. Perfect, he can out talk you as far as, and I'm not even talking about great promos, but we're going to see him articulate a bunch of, he's not going to shut up. He's going to have a reason for what he does. He's going to be indignant about it. Uh, his wrestling is so smart in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a conversation in a way of, do you want the best of like sky and water or do you want the best of earth and fire, you know, in the conversation that we're having? And it's an amazing thing to say because I think I don't think Mr. Perfect does one thing wrong, or I don't think Rick Martell does one thing right that gives Martell the inch above in in our little fantasy booking here. But it's just that shame of someone having so much of what Rick Martell had 
and not doing more, not being allowed to exploit it and just express it and let it out. And I think both of us might be curious if we are booking this wrestling promotion we're talking about, what might happen if we hook up that energy with the fans and we let it go a little bit longer, a little bit further, a little bit bigger than was actually allowed for Rick Martel. I think part of it for me is in this series, I think we will see the best of Mr. Perfect. We will see mm-hmm. the best that he can be. Um, I don't take anything away from his AW days either, because he will fight Nick Bockwinkle and he will have wonderful matches over there. But I think we will see here from here to 91, the best of Mr. Perfect, but we won't see the best of Rick Martel. And I already alluded to that. And we will see some amazing Rick Martel stuff. And yet you look at it and you're like, there's still something on the table. Like he's so great. And there's still something on the table. So that, that tells you something as well. Yeah, I was watching some of Martel versus Ric Flair uh, the other day, and oh, you know, oh, you really, you you really got to drop back for some of these wrestlers. And we've said it a lot. We don't give some of these guys justice because we're not seeing some of the things they did. But just turn on one video for five minutes of some of these guys uh, in 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 days gone by, and you'll learn some stuff real quick. Oh, absolutely! I I have truly come to love um, '80s wrestling, and uh, not just the WWF stuff, or even just the the NWA stuff. Like the the depth of it, the stuff that goes so deep in here, and all the the territories when they lived, and um, just man, there's just such a great depth and width to professional wrestling in all eras, but in the '80s maybe in particular. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a it's like who had the biggest scoop? Richard Man had this like ice cream scooper that you know is just like ten times the size of a spoon, and every other territory had like a spoon. And what was in that container is so vast and so amazing that whoever could scoop the most out was going to win that era. Because my God, the talent and opportunity was as high as any time that you can find. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're seeing the culmination, really, in this era of all the the value of the territories coming through, and that's that's an incredible thing to see. So what did you think of this matchup between Bret Hart and Rick Martel? Uh, I thought it was a really good match. You know, I, I, honestly, I think I've seen them have even better matches at times, because I thought it was maybe just a little slow at times. Mm. But, uh, man, it, it, it's a really good match. Um You've got uh, Martel prancing around and cartwheeling and just showing such energy. I love at one point he, like, dances over to Slick and gives him a high five. And to your point, yeah, you can, like, forget he's with Slick, but then you see him with Slick and they go together well. And it's like, why did I forget that? I don't know. Maybe we'll figure it out as we go along here. Yeah, I have a question about heels. We we, we do, like, critique baby faces quite a bit, but why is it that every heel – not every heel, but why is it that some heels – who wrestled you know, as baby faces and they wrestled a particular style. What is the thing about cardio and push-ups and jumping jacks and flips that when you turn heel, all of a sudden, like you do your cardio inside of the match while you're wrestling? <laughs> yeah. The, I, I don't know what it is exactly. Um, my first thought was to say, well, it's bad to be like a show off, but then I remember Hulk Hogan will pose for like 30 minutes, um, you know, at a minimum, so I don't know how to differentiate it, to be honest. Uh, it just, uh, I guess it's another felt sense thing, and that goes for the fans who were watching at the time as well. 
Yeah, Rick Martell does it. Perfect does it. There's a lot of it. I never see people, I don't think, go from heel to face and then start doing that stuff. And for, for in praise of the heels, the one thing I might be able to say is they get so little um, acknowledgement from the world they exist in that they have to become really good at practicing self-satisfaction. <laughs> That's true. You know, they get less uh, positive affirmation from the fans, so they have to uh, maybe affirm themselves a little more. It's a possibility for sure. Um, I will uh, say just a couple things about this match that stood out to me. One, uh, this is not unique to this match, but I, I just want to say I love, you know, when a guy has like a wrist lock in the other guy and they turn the arm upside down and then they like lift the guy up by that arm. Man, that's got to be one of my favorite like mm. recurring things. It always looks incredible. It looked great in this match. Um, it looks just like your arm would just break the wrong way. So great love for that little spot right there. I am also a fan of that spot. It is is one I don't think I've ever saw it, like witnessed it and been like, ah, oh, well that didn't that didn't live up. It's always like I'm paying attention now. You got me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh, the only other thing I'll say is, man, like we we've talked a lot about Rick Martel and rightfully so, but Bret Hart, like, yeah, he he looked so excellent in these two matches that we're gonna see him in, and I I think you also nailed it when you said he improved like every year. But I also am seeing a big jump, even from, like, the last time we saw him to right now. Like, yes. he's just suddenly really come into that place where I'm feeling like, yeah, he could be Intercontinental Champion tomorrow, and I would not blink at all. So Yeah. I think I, I said he really did not improve that much for all those years. Mm. But then he improved all those years' worth, I think, and, and went jump. <laughs> like, he had this little, like, you know, I think we marked him several times, like, oh, he's doing this now, that now. And he has some standout matches here and there. But I feel like no matter what he did that was different, he could still fall back into the category that I had him. Whereas now, like he has built a floor under the advancements that he's made, and he's not going back to anything other than you know this kind of forward advance that he's on. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, accurate. Um, I will say, I don't know. I feel like I never really noticed this before. Maybe I just forgot about it. But his suplex. Mm. has got to be one of the best vertical suplexes ever because, like, he doesn't just lift the guy up and fall backwards. He, like, leaves his own feet to do this move, and there's so much spring in it, and it looks so good. So I got to give Brett credit for that as well. I got to shout it out. I know exactly what spot you're talking about. And it, and it looks so understated, but it stopped the announcers. It stopped us because it's not about how big it is. It's about how effective it is. And like you said, he is leaving the ground as he does it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. We, I, I will be quiet about it. I'm going to touch on some Bret Hart things, but I'll wait till Mr. Perfect Smash. But that suplex fits where my train of thought is going as well. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So they do take this match to a time limit draw. And uh, I don't know if they were told to do this or if this was, like, uh, from their own hearts. But the commentators really gush about this match. Like, Alfred Hayes in particular is like, oh, this is one of the greatest matches I think I ever saw. I wouldn't go that far, but it's a really good match. So if you have a mind to check it out and see what we're talking about, uh, I think you will not be disappointed. Absolutely. Uh, again, that is uh, October 16th, primetime wrestling. Okay. Alfred Hayes a lot of times um, – Sounds like that. So I think he really believes it. He's also, every time he talks about the excellence of execution, he always reminds us that Grill Monsoon coined that, which makes me just love Lord Alfred Hayes. 
I have a huge place in my heart for Lord Alfred Hayes as a commentator, as a weird little character. Uh, I just, uh, I enjoy what the guy does on screen. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciated that as well. Yes. I forgot what the next match was. I forgot. This is a hell of a show, folks. Uh, <laughs> you you want to check out these bonus matches. We, we got it loaded up. Absolutely. Uh, so our next match is for the WWF Tag Team Championships. It is from uh, November 6th of Primetime Wrestling. It is co-opted from an episode of Superstars, I believe, since we have Vince and Ventura on the call. Mm. Um, and Ventura even marvels that we have a, t- a, a match on television for a, for a championship. So that should tell you the time that we're in and how different it is from uh, what you might see today. I think uh, this last week on Dynamite, we had four title matches on television. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different time. But uh, it definitely gives you a little reality check as you walk in (laughs) to see the Brain Busters versus the Demolition. Absolutely. My first note, this is unbelievable, McMahon. Title match on television. (laughs) And like you said, like, you know, every era is different, yes. But there is something, I don't even want to say quaint, but there's something wonderful about Jesse Ventura is always the guard for not letting things change. And yes, they have to change. But there's something nice that when the brain busters meet the demolition, that it can feel like it ought to feel. And what it ought to feel like is a matchup we're not worthy of because it's pay-per-view. But here it is somehow on television for us. Yeah, it's very nice framing. Uh and it's great to present it that way. And I think it's not even true because some of the title matches we will see even on this show, like, yeah. I kind of wish I didn't even see them. <laughs> so you can't pretend the title match is really sacred. But at the same time, the way you present it makes a difference. And it does feel special when they say it like that. It does. And I think it would have in the time. But there's also a little extra on it because we know the, this is our final show, like Ms. Van said, uh, where the Brain Busters will exist in this company. So, man, you better hold on. Grab a hold like totally Blanchard grabs a leg after he makes the tag so the, the opponent cannot escape. Grab onto something because we are about to lose the Brain Busters. God, if I could hold him in the ring, if I could cut the ring in half and keep him in our corner, God knows yeah. I would do it. Um, oh, man. Man, it, it is it's so good. I Ms. Van told us about this last week, and I did not know it, it existed. I didn't forget. I never knew. But the Brain Busters were on their way to a babyface turn. Absolutely. And I am so curious about where it might have gone. Oh, people in the thread, uh, www.lpforums.com, were talking about the possibilities of the Brain Busters against the Colossal Connection. And, man, that's one of the things. We, we think of a lot of things in this show that didn't happen, but that goes right up there with, with Luger versus Vader as things mm. that, like, I would just give a lot to to see to have actually had a happen in the past and not just in our minds. Absolutely. It belongs on that level because by God, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard already laid the foundation a long time ago in an awkward promo where they were on the same screen as Andre the Giant, but they were whispering in each other's ears as Andre talked down to them. My God, they knew what was to come and they had already planted the seed. God. Yeah, I love that. I love the callback to that. It's like, um, I don't, for any who who read comics out there or are kind of aware of that world, like there, there's sort of like a gag that Batman has a, a plan to like kill every superhero 
if he needs to, like if they turn evil. So you look at the Brain Busters, and I'm like, yeah, these guys probably have a plan to beat any wrestler, and that includes uh, their friends, Andre the Giant. Like, they probably have an Andre the Giant plan in a file somewhere, and they would have pulled it out, and, man, I would have loved to see what that plan said. I love that so much, and I believe that. That's why I love it. I believe it, and, man... 80s, 90s, the best wrestlers were the ones that drove together because they wanted to talk about wrestling 24-7. And I can see, uh, we, well, I mean, there's just not enough room in the vehicle for all of Heenan's family. We'll drive, you know, we're a tag team, we'll drive together. And that is where, you know, they create this book. Oh, we're going to kill Bobby Heenan off today, you know, just, just, <laughs> just in case, you know. And so if someone had just... Like been in the car with the brain busters, maybe they wouldn't have left the family, but they left them alone enough that they knew they could execute any one of these people if they had to. And so we find ourselves in the mess that is about to come to be because demolition is going to set up something that is going to run through Saturday night's main event on this episode. Absolutely. They will trigger it off and it shows you we've talked positively about the relationships in the family. But uh, we've also talked about how when they go wrong, they go wrong fast and badly. And uh, I don't know if that says something about families or relationships or about the people who are involved or maybe just about Bobby Heenan himself. But, man, like, you, you either run hot and everything is great and everything's running perfectly or you run so cold and it's cold because you hate each other, you know, and it can turn on a dime. And we will definitely see that in this show. I've never seen much of anything turn as fast as this thing turns, but <laughs> absolutely, I'm willing to go with it though because Bobby Heenan is a lot like it's so strange that if you went, I think Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan in a way are the closest that if you do what they want you to do, they will show you a kind of love that you will never experience anywhere else. But the moment you step out of line, you the the the, the place from family to dead to me. Family to homeless, as we'll hear later on, is, is a short line. And Tolly and Arn are just not going to be the people that you are going to strong arm back into line. That you're going to set off a stubborn uh, side of them, and you're going to get exactly what we're going to get in this episode. Indeed. When you say it like that, it feels inevitable that this conflict would come. And I'm just sad again that we will not get to see it play out because it is set up as well as any feud just about that we have seen on this show and uh, it will come to nothing sadly, but uh, we can, we can dream at least. Yeah. What's so fabulous about this stuff. I'm sure somewhere in one of these episodes, we alluded to something like uh, the brain and the brain busters and how well they fit because of that. They're all thinkers. They're all planners. And then I found myself in these notes. Well, the brain and the brain busters, clearly it was never going to work out. (laughs) Uh, there's some feeling of that, but also, you know, Arn Anderson followed Ric Flair around, um, for his whole career. So, you know, it's possible he can put this aside, but, uh, when it, when it breaks and when people get stubborn, yeah, it's almost like, well, how could this have worked in the first place? So both things can be true. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. It is. I'm going to say one more thing. Cause I don't know if I've ever heard it said anywhere before. Um, Babyface Arn Anderson, underrated. Yeah. We'll get to it in the promos later, but man, there's a there's a tone that Arn Anderson can have that it can either be like 
enforcer finds you in the parking lot, horrible heel. But it also has the rise and emotion, like genuinely in his voice and tone in his body, that can make it a baby face cry. And I think we got a little bit of the baby face cry that I could have easily gotten behind if they had stayed with the WWF. Sure, yeah, and I think you would see it um, at various times in his career, not that often, but often enough. Um, and uh, really, post-retirement, almost everything he's talked about is kind of in that babyface vein, mm. and uh, and he's always done very well with it whenever he got the chance to do it, because he's Arn Anderson, and he does well with friggin' everything. But, uh, you know, even so, it's a great shout-out, and I'm glad that you highlighted it here. Yeah, because I, I think people understand maybe that he could do both, but... It's always, you know, oh, man, but but if you have to choose. And I would say it depends on the context and the need because, like, you're going to know him in his prime as a heel. But, man, I and I always we talked about this the other week. I have a fondness that is beyond explanation for his run against Barry Windham for the uh, NWA or World's title. And that was baby. That was pure baby face. That was there's a genuineness and a sincerity to Arn Anderson that could have been used so much better towards a babyface moment uh, in his life and his career. I love that match. I love that time, 1993. Some beautiful mm-hmm. things happening in that year that uh, people do not put enough respect on. Absolutely. Nice. I also love Demolition here because oh, every yeah. matchup doesn't have to be a classic. Sometimes Demolition needs to exert themselves. <laughs> I would say this match almost is kind of a classic to me, yes. and not in the traditional sense, but this match is um short i'm sure it's under 10 minutes uh probably by by like a few minutes there but it is so urgent it is so mm-hmm. heated it is so intentional it is so constant motion and yet not like pretty or graceful it is rough at the same time like i can say so many good things about this match i i, I have huge love and respect for this encounter right here Yes, this is damn near a perfect match for what it needs to be. And yes. I think I would, but I think the measuring tape we rightly used for so long was it's almost like the Brain Busters had the same kind of match, but watch them stretch the Heart Foundation for more than they're worth. Watch them stretch the Rockers for more than they're worth. You know, this matchup is not in the vein of all of that. It is. It is a special moment where a lot of specific things are happening uh, in context and the brain busters will try to be the brain busters. And outside of the story, folks, they are being the brain busters as part of the reason the match is working. But this is a moment where demolition gets to exert themselves in a way that reminds me, oh, my God, yes, I got on the brain buster train. But I should not have gotten so far away from demolition because they are the real deal. Absolutely. Uh, Demolition is incredible. And uh, you're right, this is just a different kind of match than a lot of those other ones. It's a match where the Brain Busters will try uh, a lot of their tactics, a lot of their kind of um, usual things, and Demolition will just blast through it because, hey, they're called Demolition. (laughs) They're going (laughs) to blast through the things that you try to do. And they really make it their own kind of match here, which is probably why they succeed. Not to uh, give a spoiler that you probably already knew, but yeah, no, there's there's so much good stuff in here. Yeah, when you have a match like this, you can do everything right, but you also have to have the audience in that same urgency that you talked about, and they are there, and they are they are just as alive as Demolition. This is another one, folks. 
I just my my thing is just go back and watch it, experience it, feel it. Oh, absolutely! It's so good. And I'll give you one example. Early in the match, um, I forget which demolition it is. But they throw Tully into the corner, and it's a great corner bump. Like you hear it, and I love that. Mm. Um, Tully faints that he's gonna like run out of the corner. And the other Demolition, like, runs in to catch him. Tully falls back. He brings up his knee. He knees Demolition in the head. Then he jumps up on the top, tries to jump on Demolition, but he gets caught. He gets dumped in the corner, and they just pummel the crap out of him. So that's a perfect example of the Brainbusters are trying to outthink their opponents, trying to use their strategies, and yet they are just getting overwhelmed in this match, and it does not work out in the end. And it's, it's man, like, it took me much more time to explain that than it took just to watch it because it's mm. so beautiful it's so quick it's so constant motion and it's great stuff yes and there's a reality because nine other nights out of ten all of those tries might have paid off but we all know there are some nights where you try things and it's no knock on you it just does not work and it wasn't working on demolition that day and it makes me think Bobby Heenan has to be pissed off because he lost the IC title. He has to be pissed off because of his relationship with Rick Rude. It's, this cannot be about the Brainbusters not listening because you cannot blame anybody for losing to Demolition on a single night. Absolutely. And this is great because, like, as opposed to the match we'll talk about later where they're telling a different story in this mm. match, really, the Brainbusters do everything right. Yeah. And it just doesn't work, you know, and that's just how life goes sometimes. That's a lesson for anybody mm. that wants to know about uh, success and failure. You you can do everything right. You could not make any mistake and you could still lose. And that's just that's the way that the world works sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes the people that pass you are the ones that you passed a, a year ago in order to get where you are. <laughs> and I love the fact they got the best of demolition back in the day. And but demolition didn't disappear. So, yeah. You know, again, call out this, this escapism, but there are lessons, there are life lessons to be learned. And the only way you can teach life lessons is with consistent characters. And that's why WWF could do that back then and sometimes can't do that now. Absolutely. And we should shine all the good lights on Demolition because we are in the, the height of their greatness right now. This is the team that will be uh, essentially the longest reigning tag team champion ever. Um I think maybe passed up by New Day or something recently, but yeah, like just it's a different time and a different place, and like they earned everything that they've got. They just do a wonderful job night in and night out. I don't know if anybody thinks they're supposed to be like a ripoff of the Road Warriors. Oh sure, that's yeah, that's the talking point. Um, and you can see where it comes from, but man, they are so much their own thing. Absolutely. I. I have to strain my eyes to even see where it comes from because they really they, they don't look like the Road Warriors and they don't necessarily behave like the Road Warriors. Yeah, they're dominant and they wear face paint. Maybe that's the extent of it. But when I look at Demolition and I'm looking with more than my eyes, folks, I think you got the theme of today's episode is felt since they don't feel like anything I've ever seen before or after them. Yeah, no, they're they're very uniquely their own thing, and I think uh, any comparisons to the Road Warriors stop at the door, you know, early on. Uh, they don't make it very far into the house, as far as I'm concerned. It's, yeah, come on, you know. It's <laughs> such an interesting... Uh, like, I can see them being such a bad gimmick that never got over, 
Mm. You know, and they don't. They become one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And I think those are the things that intrigue me also in this era because I know for a fact WWF is ribbing people at times, whether it's the Red Rooster or the American Dream or the Common Man. But at the same time, I really think WWF and Vince McMahon can say honestly that it's not a rib because from their point of view, it doesn't matter if it was a rib. It's not a rib in that anybody can get anything over if they're good enough. And, mm. you know, there are a lot of these gimmicks where fall on this line where they're like, this is the best thing of all time. I love watching these people. But if you move them an inch and a half, they could be over there in that. Oh, my God, this has got to be a rib. This is awful category. <laughs> so, like, it's hard to explain. But my God, I love when you take a gimmick that is so out of this world that you don't know if it could touch ground. And man, these people got their feet on the ground as demolition, but they're still taking us to these faraway places. Mm, absolutely. We criticized this man uh, at times, I think very deservedly so. But man, just booking this era in general must have been like having the tiger by the tail and just mm. like trying to hold on for the ride sometimes. And uh, yeah, so I, I see some... Um, like in the moment, you're not thinking about, oh, well, like this is this gimmick as a rib and this is like, you know, this is for that. And no, you're just you're just like doing this huge thing. And uh, I feel like it's probably a different experience to actually be in that driver's seat rather than kind of sitting back and pointing things out years later. And that doesn't mean we're not pointing out real things, right. but uh, there's just the question of perspective. Yeah, in this very series, I have seen uh, this Dusty Rose character and thought, what an abomination and I've seen it and thought, my God, he should be at WrestleMania six with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know, what world is that that those two things exist together? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy time. There's um, so much going on here. We kick off. Well, we'll get into it later. But we kick off Saturday Night's Main Event with three matches. Ultimate Warrior has a match. Hulk Hogan has a match. And Dusty Rhodes has a match. So it's a good opportunity to figure out who should have been doing what. <laughs> Well, I know what I'm going to say already when you say it like that. So, all right. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So, this is very good. Um, Remorse and Demolition. Yeah, it's a beautiful match. Um, Smash picks up Arn at one point and totally clips Smash's leg out from under him. And he just flies in from out of nowhere. And it's a beautiful moment. Totally knocks Smash down at one point and just, just hammers on the back of his head. And you want to talk about that gritty, urgent authenticity, and that's that's a perfect moment for that, where mm-hmm. reality intrudes, where authenticity intrudes on the yeah. larger than life. Um, uh, Arn Anderson hits a goddamn beautiful spine buster, mm-hmm. even by his standards. Uh, there's so much good stuff in this match. Like this is this, you said it right. This is like a perfect match for how long it is and for what it's trying to do. It, it's it's wonderful stuff. I love this. All I can say about it right now, I don't even know what this means, but when I wake up in the morning and it's like a moody, rainy day, sometimes that puts me in like a, for some reason, an amazing mood. And it, if I sat down and just turned this match on and let it play through like three times, I would feel the same thing as that weather would produce in my energy. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, I will say this. Yeah. 
This is the last thing I'll say because this is just popped in my head. But I want diversity of style in my wrestling. I want a world where a team like the Demolition can dominate the tag team division until a team like Brainbusters, which is nothing like them, can dominate the division. Until a team like Demolition, which is nothing like them, can dominate the division. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, uh, WCW in many ways was never better than in 96, 97, where it seemed like every match on the card had a different style. Everyone was bringing something completely unique. Um, just just uh, that wonderful diversity, as you said, is something to be absolutely valued and treasured. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we get uh, close to the end of this match, and uh, Axe gets in uh, with a great hot tag. And I got I to gotta put extra love on Axe right now, and I think I've done it before. I'm going to say it again because there will become a day when we have Smash and Crush as the focus of Demolition, and then and then we will feel deeply the loss of Axe. We will be shocked, I think, all over again at the difference in Demolition at that time. But right now we are at the height. We are at that wonderful moment, and uh, it's just great stuff. Demolition decapitates the Brain Busters in the end, they regain the tag team championships in an awesome match that you should definitely take the time to check out. Absolutely. Oh my God. I have to make an apology that I did not. Oh God, I didn't know it was going to come to this. This is not in the notes, folks. Uh, I don't want to stop the show, but sometimes, you know, it's 2020. You got to make these apologies. And, you know, when I was a kid, we had my brother and I, we had almost every WWF Hasbro figure that existed. We had almost every WCW Galoot figure that existed. I ran the WWF. He ran the WCW. So we used these characters that exist, but we did not use them for their TV storylines. We created our own histories. I've said it before. Butch Reed was a legit four-year world champion where I had Lex Luger chase him for four real years of my life, and Lex Luger could never get the belt off of him. But I just realized we drafted every year. We traded at the end of the year to keep things interesting. And never one time in all those years did I have any interest in having those Hasbro demolition figures. They did nothing for me. I thought nothing of them. My brother was smarter. He always drafted demolition. And I just want to apologize from the depths of my heart to those demolition figures because you could have done something in the world of figure entertainment for the WWF. But Alas, you always work for the WCW. All right. I think uh, we can give some forgiveness to Little Mystic. Because if you started watching in 1991, you will see a very different, uh, much sadder, I'm afraid to say, demolition at that time. So uh, I I will personally offer you some forgiveness for your decision. As you said, your brother perhaps uh, always more invested in the history of that time. So he just had an advantage over you. So I think... uh, is very understandable, your decision as GM of the uh, Figure Wrestling Federation. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for that. My brother watched that WWF box set a lot more than I did, and he, he had some advantages there. He, I wonder if he ever had a Jesse Ventura. I will have to ask him, because in my mind, Jesse Ventura was never in our figure entertainment world, and that, too, is a shame, but I will, I will ask him and find out the answer. But thank you. For allowing that forgiveness to take place, uh, Ms. Fan. It's important. It's it's important part of 2020, I think, that we it all uh, learn when it's right to forgive. So. Oh man, one day somebody's gonna. I, I don't know. I just feel like one day somebody's gonna not be in the forums that used to be and be like, you know what? We tried to work with you for a long time, but he spent like a minute and a half on figure entertainment, and we're just <laughs> done now. 
<laughs> we'll probably get more uh, appreciation out of it, if anything. Uh, shout out to uh, Brooklyn, who likes to talk figures yeah. at times. And I don't know. I don't know if he listens as much as he used to, but if he does, Brooklyn, we love you, bud. And uh, great, great comments and great thoughts and reminiscing from that guy. Wonderful yeah. stuff. So, I will be a fan of Brooklyn, whether he listens or not. And then Absolutely. again, if you stop listening, you got a hell of a backlog if you ever come back. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're always here for you and we're always want to know what you have to say. Very true. Very true. All right. So also from November 6th, primetime wrestling, it's a very packed episode. If you didn't know that, uh, we do have almost two years ahead of the famous SummerSlam match. We have Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart. And I got to say, I don't know exactly what you felt. I felt like this This was something special right here. This um, surpassed my expectations of it. And I was hoping it would be great. But, man, it was even better than I thought it would be. I'm very excited to talk about this one. I feel like these are two men who said to each other in the locker room, we understand that what we've got with each other and we're going to go out there and put ourselves on the map and steal the show and start making a name and start carving a path of things to come. I feel like that conversation either happened in real life or they just looked at each other in the ring and they knew it without saying it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my notes are littered with uh, words like a proving ground match. Mm -hmm. uh, like a cusp of greatness match. Yes. This is definitely a match where both of these guys showed, hey, we can be Intercontinental Champion. We could be in the main event. We could main event a WrestleMania easily yeah. in the future. And I think that was true of both of them. It will only happen for one. Um, I have a lot to say about the years that Mr. Perfect will miss due to injury and uh, perhaps other factors as well. But, man, it showed me in this moment, yeah, like – if this guy had stuck around and was a bigger part of New Generation, he could have been in any main event that you thought of. So, whew, this is yeah. a great one to talk about. He would have been so good in there, not just with Bret Hart, but that would have put him with Owen Hart when Owen Hart was in the world title division. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of interesting ways. Uh, you'll see Mr. Perfect with Razor Ramon some, but, like, I'd like to see more of that. Uh, Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels you're going to see later. I'd like to see more of that. So, yeah, there's not a – I can't think of a time in the new generation where Mr. Perfect would not have fit with what was going on. Absolutely so. This guy's path could have gone such a different direction, and we will talk, yeah, he will miss time, and uh, he will just have a very odd career at times. But, man, right now when we are really coming into the peak of Mr. Perfect, of Kurt Hennig – Man, I, I will only have great things to say about this guy, I think. Yeah, Lord Alfred Hayes says something about Bret Hart that to me applies to both of them, that they are very fast in that thinking brain of theirs. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely so. Uh, to your point, Mr. Perfect, coming into his own, coming out right now, he has his theme music at last. I think the first yes. time I've heard it on this series, that great classic theme. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I love it a lot. I, I love the the outfit, the gimmick, the swag is up a whole lot. We're going to see this man is going to just skip the IC division and go straight to breaking Hulk Hogan's world title with a hammer before we're done today. <laughs> That's you know. how our show will end. Yes, absolutely. What, what, you know, what nerve. Like if you if you did not think you were perfect, if you were great and your whole gimmick was about how great you are and everything you do is great. I don't know if you could do that. You have to be sold that you are perfect 
to make that kind of jump. I realize he has a hell of a spring in his legs, and Sting told us that's all that matters to be a franchise. But, man, the way he gets from where he's been to where he's going to be at the end of the show, that is just major props for this this wild card in the WWF at this time, Mr. Perfect. Mm, that spring in his legs uh, elevated him to the main event. He <laughs> leads directly there. God, I love Mr. Perfect. Like, the way he moves. Yeah. I'll say it again. My notes are also littered with the word godly, and it's almost mm. always about Kurt Hennig right here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I want to say one thing with Bret Hart uh, with the glasses because mm. – there's something that played in my mind when he did that because we're cut the 80s, as we said, it's larger than life. You can't quite find Hulk Hogan and his uh, three uh, ideas, his uh, his 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 whole thing that doesn't quite exist on the street somewhere. It might exist in a cult somewhere. It doesn't exist on the street somewhere. And so there's something about Hulk Hogan in the ring posing at the end of his matches because the ring makes him stand above the fans. It makes him stand apart from the fans because he's not like us. We like this era because it's not like us. It's bigger than us. It appeals to some kind of impulse. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart is going to lead a generation where he comes out of the ring and puts his feet on the floor where other fans are standing and puts his glasses in the hands of fans. And Bret Hart is going to be Everything that that generation is not. He's not necessarily larger than life and not in a disrespectful way, but he is the carpenter. He is the builder. He is the maker. He is a real man doing bigger things than maybe we have done. But we think, hey, if he can do that, I can do that. Like he is on the ground, whereas Hulk Hogan was in the ring. The Hulk Hogan, that whole era, we, we've said larger than life a lot. And I think at its best, it absolutely was larger than life. New Generation, I think, at its best, will be as large as mm. life, and I think that can be just as good when it is executed well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the best in Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. I saw the best frame that the new generation can have, and if they can hold the lens that I saw, then I still got something to look forward to over these next few years. Oh, absolutely. I think we're going to find a lot of great stuff. Uh, in this period, even in the, the the lower periods, I think we will find things to appreciate, and there will be dark times. I'm looking at 1995 with some fear mm-hmm. in my eyes, but there, there will be some great stuff as well, I think, even in there, that we can appreciate. And- but the thing about Diesel is that when he puts that knee into your stomach in the corner, he kind of steps out like it's over, and then he does it again. <laughs> 1995. <laughs> And he, he could put his foot on your neck and just kind of rest it there. So, oh, wow. amazing. But, All right. <laughs> uh, we agree, though, I think, in that there's, there are magical things coming. I, I think about Perfect uh, beating up Shawn Michaels uh, in the streets of New York on a vehicle. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot to be seen from these guys. But, man, this is just my praise Bret Hart day. And we're praising Mr. Perfect because this is also his episode. But, but in case there's Bret Hart fans who are just fed up. Like, I can praise Bret Hart, folks. And I'll say this, and I hope that this will get you excited. There is a Mr. Perfect Shawn Michaels match that we will cover. I will make sure we cover it. That absolutely eclipses and push the shame the match that they will have in 1993, which I think is um, far below its potential. We will see that potential realized at an oh, earlier wow. date. So please look forward to that because it's going to be great. 
I love that. I have no idea what you're talking about, and I love it for that. <laughs> yeah, this is special stuff. Uh, we talked about the military press, and we talked about Bret Hart's suplex. Bret Hart does a crucifix that is so – like, if you're like, why do they call it the crucifix? Watch Bret Hart do it to Mr. Perfect, and it's done so excellently. You'll know why they call it a crucifix. Oh, he'll show you for sure. Bret Hart, you know, and for all – at times I think we'll maybe criticize him, but, like, some of the things he does are really beautiful. He's got a backbreaker, too, that you could just write home about and say, mm. you know, Mom, Dad, I saw the greatest backbreaker today, you know. So nice. really great yeah. stuff there. Oh, oh God, Ms. Van, I am sorry for the pressure that you've been under, but you're hiring people one person at a time, and the money people, they want a roster, Ms. Van. They don't want one wrestler. So they don't watch wrestling, of course, but they glimpsed, they glimpsed the WCW U.S. title division. They glimpsed the IC title division, and they are going to give you the money to hire four folks. But you know what? you got to hire them together, Ms. Van. Okay. And so are you going to bring in Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, Roddy Piper, and Rick Martell, or Steve Austin, Brian Pillman, Dustin Rhodes, and Ricky Steamboat. Oof, geez. These people are, um, uh, <laughs> they're putting me through the ringer here. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh boy. Brett Perfect, Piper Martell. Austin Pillman, Dustin Steamboat. Oh, my God. Ooh. I don't think I can decide that one off the top of my head. I would need to sit down and, like, do some calculations and set some uh, ground rules. And, oh, wow, that's that's terribly difficult. You stumped me. I can't answer you. I'm sorry, investors. I need some time. (laughs) I'll get back to you. I appreciate your honest answer, and I I brought the whole thing up because we are all victims of the moment we're in, and I'm sitting here thinking that uh, this IC title that is to come is the greatest thing that's ever existed, and oh my god, WWF is so good, and I don't remember WCW, but this is pretty much a year or so of IC title contenders and champions versus a year or so of US, and the whole point of it is you could have gone to either places in those years and got the most phenomenal uh, matches and characters and potentials that you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, WWF certainly started the run on the territories, but uh, it's not like WCW will not reap the benefit in the end yeah. also, because as those territories disappear, not even the WWF can hire everybody, and people will leave the WWF, and they will come to a different place where they are more valued, and uh, we will just see incredible stuff come out of both companies in uh, in their mid-card, in uh, their main event, you know, for all the mistakes that may have been made at times, you, you will see just an incredible array of talent through this period. Yeah. And just on the appreciation theme that we have going today, you know, we got more access to this stuff than ever before. So okay. if you're feeling down, feeling bored, don't know what to do, dive into the stories of any of those eight wrestlers and watch some of their matches and, and, and histories. And man, you can get lost in any of it. Absolutely. The greatest kindness the WWE ever did in this decade probably is uh, just being the guardians of the footage and actually putting it out there and making it so easy to view. So uh, for all their flaws and God, they have many, I uh, will definitely give them credit for that because if they weren't doing it, God knows if anybody would be doing it. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say out of those notes is that give me what are we in 89, give me six or seven years and we are going to have, 
a lot of conversations about the what might have been surrounding one Brian Pillman. Oh, yeah, for sure. There will be some interesting stuff to talk about with that man, for sure. Man. Yeah, so but- I also... I love uh, Bret Hart throwing perfect around like a like just the discus throws by his hair again and again and again. <laughs> they will both <laughs> throw each other with all their might at times this match. In the beginning of the match, yes, Mr. Perfect will be thrown on the mat and he will spin like a top until he slides completely yeah. out of the ring. And man, if anybody else can even do that, I never saw him do it. So that that's incredible in and of itself. But later on in the match, Mr. Perfect will grab two handfuls of hair and he will throw Bret Hart bodily across the length of the ring. And it felt like across the length of the world by his hair. So Mm. just uh, great throwing. (laughs) Yeah, that alone (laughs) from both guys here. Oh, man, he threw him the length of the world. That is a beautiful statement. Oh, that was my felt sense at that moment. That's what it says in my notes. And I I agree with it. And I've said this earlier in the series is that you always think Mr. Perfect is such a great wrestler, but all he wrestles for, it seems like, is to get you down so that he can become really violent with you. And I think Bret Hart has that tendency to great wrestlers, execution, yes, but they want to get you in a place where they can kind of lose themselves on you if, if you let them. So I think they match up well in temperament. Yeah, no, I absolutely think they do as well, uh, and it's interesting to look at that. It's also interesting, we will spend a lot of time talking about Kurt Hennig's bumping, because it is so beautiful, um, and it can make a match all on its own, in my opinion, and yet, he will show you in this match and so many other times that he has such great offense as well, like, this is such a well-rounded in-ring competitor, uh, he really is incredible, he really is honestly perfect at times. Mm, yeah, I... <laughs> So again, this is what I'm talking about. Like, if I just told you you're going to be Mr. Perfect, and we don't know who Kurt Hennig is, and we don't know that that could possibly possibly be as bad as a gimmick, because Mr. conjures up certain things, and then Perfect, you know, that could have been a failure of a gimmick. But when you got someone who is both, but is a heel, and is a heel you want to smack, but comes off like he is perfect. Like, that's a hell of a thing, but man, you better put the right guy with the right gimmick in order to make some of these things happen. <laughs> and as you said, it's almost like any gimmick can work in this time if you put it on the right person, and there are exceptions. I don't think anyone made the Red Rooster work. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you put a gimmick on a great wrestler, and they're going to make it work. We're going to see later on um, Doink will be yeah. extremely successful at first because of Mad Born and how great he is and it's presented well. And then later it will be on other guys and it will be a failure for many reasons. Um, so yeah, a, a great wrestler can get almost any gimmick over and I, I will definitely push that a number of times as we go through here. Yeah. I love doing, I love Matt Bourne. Uh, do we agree? Or are we forgetting anybody? Because I, I think the red rooster may be in a category that exists by itself. <laughs> I mean, as far as the series goes, nothing else comes to the to my mind. Uh, certainly elsewhere in wrestling, I think there have been gimmicks yeah. that could not have succeeded. But uh, here, I think, yeah. There were a few in WCW at one point. Um, you know, I think like in 91, they got kind of roasted, rightfully so, for a lot of weird gimmicks that probably couldn't have worked. But yeah, there aren't too many of them. Most gimmicks can work. Most gimmicks aren't so bad on their face that they have to fail. 
that's an amazing thing for how many stupid gimmicks there are in this era. And I honestly, most only even the ones we don't like, they got over with the people they had. And half the time we don't like the gimmick or the person, and it still got over. You know, but <laughs> so who's going to be the Red Rooster? Barber got over. So what can you what can you say about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll have an answer because I probably don't either. But if you were going to try to get the Red Rooster gimmick over, who do you give it to? <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> like, you want to talk about people who can get anything over. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the way he struts around the ring is a little chickenish already. So, like, I don't know. I think just he's so great that I think he could have winked at the audience and they would have been like, all right, you know, we love you anyway. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a, it's a short list for sure. That's a great answer. Because I, I do think, as even, even as I put it on a – the list of things that can't get over. I think there's a 1% chance that it could get over just like anything else, because I think what would happen is if you had a dusty Rhodes and he has that stupid little hair thing that, uh, Terry Taylor's got, and he's making like these chicken references and these noises. Like if it got over, eventually the hair thing would go away. The references would go away and we would call him the red rooster and we would forget why we even called him the red rooster as he turns into something else. Sure. Yeah. And that's what happens at times. Like that kind of happened to Undertaker, you know, mm. uh, he'll be like a zombie mortician and then yeah. eventually he'll be a lot of different things. So yeah, if you, if you get over, regardless of your gimmick in time, you will transform into something else and you will be uh, as great as you can be. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. This is also interesting because I believe, is this where Bret Hart gets pinned? Yeah, he, he gets pinned at the end of this match. And he just lays in the ring. He doesn't try to beat up Mr. Perfect. He just takes his loss. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it in this series. <laughs> this is really why he didn't break out sooner, I guess. Is, uh, yeah. he, he didn't have the right bad attitude at this point. Uh, so <laughs> He had no weapon or animal. <laughs> no, yeah. So he, I got to say, for being called the hitman, he is so lucky that Vince didn't dump a lot mm. of other stuff on him. Like, he could have come to the ring with a gun yeah. or, like, <laughs> God knows what could have happened. Um, so we can all just be thankful that that nickname always just sort of was a cool name and nothing more. And Vince can be happy he never hears the show because I think he'd be kicking himself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that, but the minute you said it, like, I can see the whole thing. Like, oh, the, the dress, like, what he's wearing the mood, the music, the vignettes. Oh, dear God. Bret Hart is a lucky, lucky soul. <laughs> <laughs> eventually, I don't even know if we'll see this, um, but Barry Windham eventually will come back and he will be the stalker. Yep. And, uh, like, stuff like that, like, it could have happened. So let's just be thankful that it didn't happen here. So I saw the stalker vignettes in real time. He was oh, out in the boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never saw it, so I don't even know what I'm in for. Okay. All right. All right. What year was that, I wonder? Because that... Ooh. Those are the moments, man. I froze when I watched that and, and had to question my fandom. I know that much. <laughs> is it like... Is it as late as like 98, maybe? Uh, eventually, he'll also be like a Blackjack with Bradshaw. Yes. So, I don't know exactly. It's somewhere in that kind of mid-late 90s area. I think they love to do something like a blackjack gimmick in a time where it doesn't fit and with no effort just to be like, oh, that stupid gimmick doesn't work, see? <laughs> and that ain't right because I love the blackjacks. Oh, definitely ain't I right. I may like it more anyway because I like Bradshaw and it's Barry Windham even like past his prime. So 
I may end up saying something more positive than the WWF wanted me to when we get mm. there, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. The stalker is 1996. Oh my god. August Every 10th, 1996. Has got to hold the record of the most like obscure, short, gimmick laden WWF runs because he's got like at least three which could fall under the radar, and it's always a, a different gimmick. And it, it's always like so short you could forget it happened. So some weird ass stuff in the future for Barry Windham. Apparently, in his only pay per view appearance, uh, the Stalker will be eliminated in Survivor Series by his old friend Gold Dust. <laughs> Ooh, okay, all yeah. right. So we'll see what that looks like. That's a different world than what we're talking about right now. That doesn't even seem like it can be in the same company. So. Oh. That was one of my early interests when we started this show is to see in real time kind of how how one week turns to the next week and some of these errors turn to like other errors. Oh, it's so strange. So many times I have attempted to capture that and it always slips through my fingers. So we'll yeah. see if we can get a better handle on it as we go through here. Yeah, I'm not I'm not holding my breath on that, but we'll try <laughs> for sure. Uh, I'll just say yeah, this is a wonderful match. I will probably add this to the ballot when we send it out for possible best match in the series, because I think it could be that for those who watch it. Um, the only other thing I want to shout out in the match is that uh, we will get one of my favorite Kurt Hennig-isms, as he will be limping his way along the rope with one hand on the rope, and he will get his feet kicked out from under him, and he will land flat on his head. And that is just one of the greatest things I feel like I ever saw in a wrestling ring. I will always pop for that, mark out for it. Such a mm. great spot there. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, man, you could do it in a whole episode on just uh, Mr. Perfect Selling. Oh, yeah. It's always different, too. Like It's upside down, you know, horizontal. It's anything you can imagine. <laughs> he, Bobby Heenan, and, and really just a few others in history yeah. have this, like, secret technique where their body will just defy gravity when you hit them, and they will fly in improbable ways. And you'd be like, this video game has a glitch. Oh, no, wait, it's real life. So, yeah. wow, okay, all right. It's just it's amazing what these guys can do. I don't remember how Shawn Michaels does in the 92 Royal Rumble, but I heard him say recently that he knew the Rumble was not about him. He knew he wasn't going to be the focus, but he had watched a Rumble where Mr. Perfect bumped like a champion and like stole the show. You, had, you couldn't take your eyes off of him, so his goal was just to go in and bump like Mr. Perfect in order to just get attention that was not really being given to him. <laughs> Oh man, I I can see that for sure. I can't think specifically of that rumble, but he will he will put on some great performances like that, and we yes. will definitely put some positive shine on it. Man, this has been amazing. So we have had like two classic Bret Hart matches with Mister Perfect and Martel. Then we had a Brainbuster match with Demolition that did not sit like that usual matchup. And now we got Dusty Rose versus Akeem. That's not going to look like any of those matches. And I got to say, like, I enjoyed all four of these matches. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is why I'm so glad we started doing this bonus footage. Because, honestly, we could put together a better Saturday Night's main event than, than the mm. WWF can at times. Because uh, they're about to lay a couple of stinkers on us. And instead, <laughs> we're over here with these bonus matches just having a great time. I do have a question because I am... Uh, partially colorblind, and so I don't always get my colors right. So, right. Um, is there a similarity between those polka dots on Dusty Rhodes and that over shirt that a King the African Dream wears? <laughs> um, visually, I would want to say no, but maybe I mean, spiritually. The colors of them. They, 
I don't think because, like, you got black and yellow and you got blue and yellow, I guess. So you want to say there's yellow on both? The big yellow, yeah, that's why. I I just didn't realize that he had that big yellow shirt that he wore. Yeah, no, I guess a lot of yellow. Yeah, I I can see what you're getting at. I was just wondering because I had never seen them together. And this is is the coming together of the guy who we claim, like, the wrestling world claims and WWF denies uh, is a rib of Dusty Rhodes versus Dusty Rhodes being a rib of Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> if you can watch this match and still believe that there's no connection between these two, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, it, they start out with like a dance off. They do, yeah. It's like, oh, they have the same dance moves. Yeah. Oh, who so. who would have thought about that? Oh my god. The 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 way this match moves makes it. You know, it's yeah. not even really the wrestling because it's a very simple match. It's probably less than five minutes. In terms of the actual wrestling, but like the movement of these two guys next to each other, I was, I'll never get over like Akeem stagger dancing out of the corner and Dusty yeah. like dancing along and making fun of him and just like you you can only get that movement in a very particular special place. <laughs> yeah, Vincent Man says Akeem likes to show off his moves, but he's being outmaneuvered, which which. Coming straight out of Vincent Man's mouth is pretty much saying they do the same thing, but Dusty's doing it slightly better, which makes sense. If Dusty is a rib of himself and Akeem is a rib of Dusty, then Dusty's Dusty would be a little better than Akeem's Dusty. <laughs> You're saying Dusty Rhodes is a better Dusty Rhodes impression than Akeem? So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God, we're deep in something. That, what a world, man. Oh, I, man. Uh, this is on uh, November 20th. Uh, primetime wrestling, so we didn't mention that, but yes, Dusty Rhodes and Akeem, two dreams, one American yeah. and one African, and they are fighting <laughs> off here in a, a match of uh, of dancing and movement. So one thing Miz Fan and I have talked about, and I'm going to reference this on Saturday Night's Main Event because I don't know why we haven't done it for this long. Mm-hmm. We love episodes that progress throughout the night. Yeah. And it only, it's only hit me how, I think it's going to be the direct comment of a heel, Mr. Perfect. Like, I, I'm ashamed that we haven't really hit on this, but Mr. Perfect is being interviewed by Jesse Ventura, and he's like, can you answer, you know, why you did what you did to Hulk Hogan? And he's like, I'm going to wrestle my matchup with the Red Rooster. I will answer that later. And it hit me, oh, my God, we always have these promos before and after matches because Saturday Night's Main Event is all about continual progression throughout the night. Mm, yeah. No, that's a great point. We haven't talked about it that much. Uh, I think because a lot of times the progression is very simple, and mm-hmm. when it's not, we kind of view it through a different lens. Like the Randy Savage Hulk Hogan progression wasn't really about one night. It was about like this huge longer thing. But you're right. Like it's nice that you get like the start and then the match and then something after. And you know, there's uh, there's definitely something good to be said for that. We've been very positive about Saturday Night's main event. And I think that's quietly been one of the reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so even here, this is not in one night. But I was thinking about how much I love patterns, progressions, and potentials. And this Sapphire thing is low-key blowing my mind. Like I love this idea that there's a Dusty Rhodes fan in the crowd just on episode after episode. And she's bothering people. And you kind of know something's going on. But at the same time, like who's going to say, oh, well, she's obviously going to become Dusty Rhodes' manager. And they're going to have a feud with Randy Savage and Sherry. Like You're not going to say that. So I just love it. I love them together. I love the kind of support, the whole common man thing that they're doing. I love how much it bothers Slick. I love how slowly it's progressing. So I just want to shout that out, too, as another, even though it's not all in one night. It's another patterns, progressions, and potentials 
that keeps me uh, kind of tuning in if I were watching this. We've talked uh, many times about how WWF likes to kind of drill down on something in this era, and I will say, as someone who's watched a lot of the week-to-week show, it is something they do exceptionally well, this kind of thing. Like, they will show it to you over and over and over again until it becomes a pattern, until you expect it, and then they'll do something new with it, and they'll be like, oh, wow. Whereas, like, if everything just happened at once, it would be like, bleh, oh, a thing happened, you know? And it's just, it's a completely different feeling. So, uh, yeah, it is cool to see that repetition, to get some taste of that, and to really uh, kind of feel the effectiveness of that slow-term storytelling. Yeah, it's, it's another conversation that has to happen as far as, if you want to talk about effective debuts, like where does Sapphire rank in that? <laughs> like she, she, I didn't realize she damn near is the reason, if not the reason, that Bossman and Slick are going to break up, and she hasn't even started being a manager yet. <laughs> So I just want to think about Sapphire once in a while as we go forward. Oh, we'll have plenty to think about Sapphire. She's a weird but kind of interesting character. And uh, I don't know, we'll think of her when she's actually wrestling yeah. in matches. But, you know, there's there's some value to a character like this. I think it's good to recognize. It also helps Dusty Rhodes in that, like, if there's someone who likes him and connects with him on something, he's got to be more than, like, a balloon that WWF, like, painted pictures on. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be, like, something a little bit more. So I, I'm hoping that maybe, you know, I guess it could go both ways. They could both be super big gimmicks and not real people, but is at least trying or to flesh him out a little bit maybe instead of just, you know, what we've seen so far. But I don't know. We'll see. I feel like we've already seen an improvement in the Dusty Rhodes thing. Yes. Because, like, the early day stuff, uh, some of it was kind of fun, but some of it was like, wow, this is really Dusty Rhodes. Like, it was not mm. that good. But now, I don't know, I feel like he's not making, like, the dumb face in interviews, and he's yes. just acting more like Dusty Rhodes, and it's still something distinctive to the WWF. But to me, it's already improved a lot. That's a good point, because I'm honestly... I don't know why I first threw out Dusty Rhodes as a uh, versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six, but I am done. Like I'm beyond. Wouldn't that be nice fantasy booking? Your money's not on the line. I honest to God think that they if they brought Dusty Rhodes in in this era and treated him how we've talked about that they could have done just as well with a Dusty Rhodes Hulk Hogan match as they did with Hogan Warrior. Mm. I don't people. I I could be a hundred percent wrong, and and if I am cool, but man. The more I watch it, and then I'm, I'm listening to Hulk Hogan last night on Steve Austin's podcast from way back in the day, and Steve Austin is praising Hulk Hogan for how well he sells, like how he puts his whole body into it, and you don't see that from people like Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan, guess where Hulk Hogan got his selling from? Guess who he watched on TV and saw how he sold with his whole body and how much it brought the fans in, and he he wagged his finger when he got back up. Guess who Hulk Hogan got all of that from, this fan? Man, I never connected that finger wag, but then, yeah. man. Because Hogan does it so much more obnoxiously, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's that. That tells you a lot. I didn't know that, and that that shows you that Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair basically came in idolizing and imitating Dusty Rhodes, and those are two, maybe the two biggest stars of all time, certainly of the era. That tells you a lot right there. We know Randy Savage was a huge Dusty Rhodes mark. Man, this has got to tell you something to any Dusty Rhodes doubter, and I hope that you don't even exist out there, but if you do, pay attention to who the greats are looking at 
when they are looking for their own grades. Oh my God! I just had a pen dry. I had a pen in my hand as I talked, and I just dropped it on the table. That you just blew my mind with the fact that yes, on the record now, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan both came out of Dusty Rhodes. What the hell do you say to that? Mm. You know, and that's and then you think about the guy that before Hulk Hogan that was going to be Hulk Hogan had things gone differently was Dusty Rhodes. This is this is a phenomenal thing that Dusty Rhodes exists. You know within this framework of history like this and man, I've never thought about it. And boom, there it is. Yeah. Incredible special talent. That's amazing stuff. And imagine because Jim Ross, I was listening to Jim Ross talk about Dusty Rose the other day. And like, <laughs> I think he uh, brought someone to talk to Dusty Rose in Dusty Rose locker room. Dusty Rose is laying on the floor, naked, nothing on except cowboy boots. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, that's kind of how Dusty was. But at the same time, Dusty was insecure about his body and insecure about his look. And it's an amazing enough to me to watch a man that society would look like look at and make some guesses with that body, that frame, uh, the lisp, as we know, and to turn it all into something so iconic that the best of the best got what they got from you. But to be insecure at the same time, like I want to tell myself he's so extroverted and he's so above that that he doesn't have to feel those things. That's why he can do that. and I can't. That's why he can do that. And I can't. But the man was insecure while he was doing it at the same time. This Dusty Rose, my friends, is phenomenal. And that's why he broke ground, because he was insecure and he did it anyway. Yeah, for a guy who's insecure about his body, you hear a lot of those naked stories. Yeah. <laughs> Just heard another one from William <laughs> Regal in almost the same situation. So, okay, all right, a lot of nudity. But you know what? Sometimes that's how people address their insecurity. They attack yeah. it head on. And if that worked for Dusty Rose, I think we know it did. Then that uh, that tells you something about how you can live your life, I guess. But please don't go around naked in your workplace. That's not really good. Yeah, so. <laughs> he did have cowboy boots on. Okay, well, I hope <laughs> – all right, I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But there is something almost to the point that if you're going to do something that's really hard to do, maybe you got to do it 1,000% because, mm. you know. But anyway, yeah, my mind is blown. I'm, like, I'm off my notes. I'm off my thoughts because I never knew we lived in a world where Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair both came out of Dusty Rose. That is just phenomenal to know. We have we just, we just stumbled on something today, folks. Mm. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. And I'm sure they are not the only ones. So, yes, Akeem did as well. (laughs) (laughs) He he danced right out of Dusty Rhodes. So, yes, as you say, Sapphire uh, provides the distraction from inside the crowd here. uh, Distracting Slick. Akeem goes out as well. Dusty kind of bumps him over, runs back into the ring, gets that count out victory. So, uh, it's a different kind of match than the other ones we've talked about, but it's uh, fun for what it is and worth checking out if you have, like, five minutes because it's very short as well. Yeah, and these Hill managers are slipping right now, so I think they need to call a conference or something. At, at some point, we will see five of them uh, all together on Brother Love, I think, so that's uh, that's something we'll have to watch out for. Absolutely. All right, we'll get into it. That's amazing. Bonus footage. We are moving to Saturday night's main event. It's November 25th, 1989. This is, folks, this is it. We are closing the door on uh, 1989 with the last things that we say here. Uh, rapid fire. 
Uh, we got we got a new person who's always up front. We got a, a continuation of the Ultimate Warrior, uh, always first in these rapid fire promos. Now uh, he he references uh, Jack and the Beanstalk and how he's going to bring down Andre the Giant. Oh, I genuinely <laughs> didn't know he said that. <laughs> yeah, I worked for I, I I made myself listen to both of his promos like two or three times because. I try like hell not to be okay. Well, you guys never gave this person a chance. Well, we, Ms. Van and I have both acknowledged that we don't understand what he's saying when he does his promos. So what if he's saying things that are, that really, really matter and we're just missing it? Like I am turning over every stone here and I listen to both of his promos. And this one about Jack and the Beanstalk is probably the better one of the ones that I listen to. Oh, and it's stupid for the record. <laughs> All right. All I saw was Warrior screaming in front of a backdrop of his own face yeah. repeated many times, and that kind of disturbed me. So I'm glad I didn't watch it many times because that, I think, would have unsettled me a lot in my day. Yeah, it's not a good look either because I think when I was a kid, maybe I thought it was. But, like, when you see that little mask of the Warrior, that's what the whole image is, is that mask and the shape that it is. And it kind of just reminds you that's all he is, is that mask that the WWF put on his face. Uh, there are definitely people at a different perspective, especially at the time, than we do, and we acknowledge that. But man, for me, it is not fun to watch any of this warrior stuff. Like he's he's bad. Come on, man. Bobby Heenan says fairy tales grow up, warrior. This is no fairy tale. <laughs> that explains why he said that. I was like, <laughs> he must have yelled something about a, a fairy tale. So okay, all right. Um, Jack and the Beanstalk is such a low hanging fruit. <laughs> it really is. Uh, Heenan warns the warrior about the reality of Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant, like, beats his chest in this promo, and, as, like, that scared me by itself. Like, yeah. if I saw that happen in life, I would run away. I really think I might. He's also just drenched. I don't know if he's wrestled or he's got something on him, but, man, he's, he's drenched. Uh, it's a scary sight of Andre the Giant on this show. Like, he has gone... Uh, it's almost a flip of what I thought, because when he was supposed to be the biggest monster in the world, I found him charming. Now he's kind of died down, and he's starting to be scary. So, Yeah, let's shout out the, the facial hair choices of Andre the Giant, because he could right. become more or less scary, depending on how he groomed himself as well. Yeah. So that's, that's something. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God. Dusty Rose says about the boss man, justice is a lady, not a stick. Uh, justice is blind. It is not stupid or mean. Yep, justice is for all the people, Daddy. And here, yeah, like these these dusty promos are better than the ones we heard early on. So mm. a lot of improvement happening already. Absolutely. Uh, thick, uh, slick says that he is uh, not a common man. He is a common thief as he is stolen from the big boss man. He says boss man is the greatest crime fighter since Batman yes. and slick continues to show he's one of the best managers and his pairing with boss man is one of the best that we have seen in this series so that's a great great pairing also i'm very surprised that none of the baby faces ever called slick thick so props to you <laughs> for coming up with something there yes the mistakes we make uh <laughs> the genius is wrestling hulk hogan tonight and he says that he is the wisest man since the world began mm. Says Hogan may be larger than him, but his head is fatter. So <laughs> nah, that's a good line. That's also true. So it is. It is. Hulk Hogan says you're gonna find out how smart you are as you try to solve the problem that Einstein, Socrates, and Plato could not solve, which is what you're gonna do when Hulk Hogan runs wild on you. 
Um, yeah, that's uh, an interesting line. Okay, then, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yes. Again, though, at least it's lore, and at least it kind of goes with the thing. It's not Jack and the Beanstalk folks. So. Yep, it's better than that, and I knew I can understand what he said also, so that helps. Yeah, that's, that helps. Okay, we go out to the building fans. It is Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura again. And Vince McMahon is called fat by Jesse Ventura. He says it looks like you've gained six pounds. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how much of that is them working together. Because every time he hits Vince McMahon, he hits him right where we'll find out Vince McMahon lives. <laughs> I, I, It certainly feels like Ventura is just ready to... Uh to mess with the boss but you know what that's not uncommon i think in this era because you hear nick bockwinkle talk about how he liked to wrestle Vern and greg because he could like just see how far he could push them you know yeah. even though they were the ones in charge so sometimes you just like needling your boss maybe jesse ventura's got a little proto steve austin in here yeah that's hilarious i love that story <laughs> smart people too because all of those those are smart people and you know yeah they know how to deliver something that is just on that line and props to them. I also, uh, Hulk Hogan on that podcast, uh, Vince McMahon came to Minnesota to meet with Hulk Hogan when he was trying to get Hulk Hogan. And so I think Linda, who was at the time dating Hogan, I think was sent maybe to meet McMahon. She's like, well, how will I know um, who it is? And he's like, well, look for someone with like gigantic shoulder pads in their suit. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that tracks. Yes. Yeah, I wonder how many people, because Vince is a, he's, he's a, he, you know, he's a bodybuilder. And he's going to become enormous. I don't know if he's as enormous as he'll be later, but you know that they like to take the piss out of him when they could. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Man, what a weird relationship it must be to have any relationship with Vince McMahon, especially in this time, because now you can only have a relationship with like, the legend or whatever, but in this yeah. time, like when he's just a guy and he's trying to do a thing, but he's also like crazy and maybe even a little bit of a genius and also maybe like just a weirdo. Like <laughs> it's just a lot going on there. I think I figured something out in the past Vince McMahon in that the only thing he understands, I think is like competition and directness. And so what most people would think would be like misbehavior that would be the last thing you ought to do. And in most places it would be, I think what he responded to was people who behaved like he did, which is the people who would break down doors and would argue with him and fight with him. It's almost like the more you contended with him and had a love hate relationship with him and had ups and downs with him and was direct with him. Like he understood that, but you know, everything else, which is all almost always better behavior in most minds did not get you anywhere with Vince McMahon. Very true, but I feel like you can go the other way also, because sometimes people who challenge Vince McMahon are never heard from again, so yes. it's like, I wouldn't know how to even start with no. this guy, uh, and I like to think I'm pretty good at, like, gauging personalities, but I don't even know where to start with Vince, so. I would have felt like that, that, that could not exist. I, props to people who can, but... Even anything about Ric Flair, him sending Ric Flair and Macho Man out to wrestle the same match and yelling at them and dressing them down in front of everybody. Oof. Like, Ric Flair reminds me of the kind of person, as, as much as he pays homage to, Rick, uh, to Vince McMahon, he is not the personality type that Vince McMahon is going to respect, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. 
I, uh, there's a different world where Ric Flair doesn't live so much under, like, that umbrella, um, yes. where maybe he has something different to say, but, uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's so interesting, because, like, Hogan would say on that, on that show that, you know, he had a love-hate relationship with Vince from the beginning, that both of them probably got bigger than they should have gotten and thought that everything was about them, you know. And then Bruce Pritchard said part of the reason that uh, McMahon loved Michael so much is because Michael's reminded him of a young Vince McMahon. And, his, and you know, it was in, like, the misdeeds, like, the misbehaving, the the being obnoxious, the, the you know, demanding, demanding, demanding. It's all the things that if you're owning a company or running a company, you would think you would hate. And yet somehow, you know, I don't know, Vince McMahon just likes the volatile, I think, in a way that some people <laughs> do not. I mean, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. So, uh, we, Fair. God knows. Like, I don't even know how to gauge it because, yeah, some people will misbehave badly and receive nothing but rewards, and some will misbehave and they will go <laughs> to the graveyard and their names will be, like, stricken from the history books. So, I don't know what the difference is. I don't even know if Vince knows. It's a guy who piloted a lot on instinct, I think, and he followed yeah. his instincts, and often it worked and often it didn't. And,. It's just a very strange life, strange career, strange personality. It is. I, I do think he is one person who is at the center of everything we're doing, that when this series is over, we will not have any better a handle on him. No way. He is um, He is too many things to, like, nail down. Uh, yeah. Some so good and some so bad. Like, it's just he runs the gamut for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jesse is now, it's become a regular thing where he does all the heel uh, interviews. I don't know how I like, if I like that or not, with him running back and forth or supposedly running back and forth. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't mind it. Like, it gives us some more unique Ventura things to do, and uh, I really like Ventura. So, And he does it sometimes, and sometimes he doesn't do it. So it's like he gets some different feelings in there. I, I, I like it all right. And, that's fair. All right, so Jesse is with Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant, and he talks about the psychological advantage they will have over the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that would require Ultimate Warrior to have a psyche. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't know if he does. So um, I'd love to talk about bringing the IC title back to the family. Yes, yes, and even uh, Ventura wonders if Rick Rude will be jealous, and Bobby Heenan... <laughs> <laughs> quotes the wise Charles Manson, and I'm not to take that, but also Archie Bunker, who I strongly equate Bobby Heenan with. And he yeah. says it's all in the family. Yeah, the only thing that can make Bobby Heenan better is if he had, like, a reclining chair to sit in. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought, and I don't, I don't really listen to shoot interviews or anything, but I always thought Bobby Heenan must, must, of based uh, at least part of his persona on Carol O'Connor on that Archie Bunker mm-hmm. character because like you could swap them back and forth practically and you would get a very similar result. Um, you know, Bobby Heenan could have been on that show and uh, Archie Bunker could have been a, a wrestling manager <laughs> and you, you would have seen some interesting stuff, but not as dissimilar as you might think. Yes, it would have been slightly different, but not that much. <laughs> and that's when you got it. And you were confident in yourself because you know how good you are. Like You can say these kind of things because someone who's insecure who ripped off someone else or who borrowed from someone else or was inspired by someone else is going to run a million miles away from it. Bobby Heenan would be just the type to shout out someone who he was inspired by because he knows he's Bobby Heenan and he knows how good he is. And that, you know, 
there's no there's no risk there. And I I love the idea that he was influenced by him and he found a way to shout him out on TV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's a good shout out. I love that show. And I'm just going to leave the Charles Manson thing alone. Cause yeah, <laughs> that was the weirdest. I put so many question marks in a parentheses after he said that. So, uh, yeah, that was that's a fair. I didn't that one didn't hit as, as, as nicely as the other one, especially with. <laughs> Winston all in the family and the family like just, just go with that one. Yes, Archie Bunker's fine. That's that's perfect. I think it's partly too because we view this with more nuance. So you almost have to look into it like, oh, awful Bobby Heenan who's a bad guy and knows he's a bad guy and likes bad things and says bad things and it's like, oh, of course he says that he's a bad person. But like, I don't, I don't view it like that, and I would rather Bobby Heenan not view it like that as well. Yeah, there there are like <laughs> there are heels, and then there's like other things you know yes. so this the, these people they misbehave you know they will act yes. badly but the, the, no it ain't charles manson for god's sake so absolutely and especially when jesse ends this by saying once again bobby he is sharing family values oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, archer also calls warrior an orphan in the storm so oh. that's very poetic it is that's nice and then poor Gene Erkland drew the short stick, and he is over there with the Intercontinental Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, who is running circles around Gene Erkland. Uh, as he stands there, fear is the air that cowards breathe. Hmm. He's so, he thinks he's so fucking smart. It's the worst <laughs> thing about the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, my God. I, I can't even imagine. Um, who was... Who was um, Oh, Rob Van Dam uh, made some tweet about, like, like he helped the Ultimate Warrior in 2008 or something. Like, he was thinking he was going to wrestle again. And he said Warrior was very nice. And I was amazed because that's the first time I ever heard anyone say the Ultimate Warrior was ever nice. So that's um, – I wanted to give credit because one person now said it. And that's the only time I ever heard it. So Yeah. A man who has not been sober since, like, we met him on television. <laughs> but, but cool. I'm sure the Warrior – Maybe he was humbled at times, but, like, this is a man who thought that he was a philosopher. Or something. He certainly thought he had the right to speak on things that he did not. So, yeah, God but knows with the warrior. He had his own philosophy and in the comics. Like, part of him thought, and this is what, like, Jim Cornette tells these stories, Bruce Pritchard tells these stories, Jim Ross tells these stories, because all of them had to go to his fucking house with Vince McMahon to try to get him back in 96, where he pretty much said WWF had to buy... Uh, like 500,000 copies of his uh, comic book and he was using all these words that he had made up that mean things and like just talking like you know he's the smartest man in the room and they just had to sit there and act like everything made sense because they were trying to bring him back to the company <laughs> that's funny if Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette say it it might actually be true because uh, I don't trust either one of them yeah. at times but they probably won't tell the same lies so Oh my god, I forgot about that comic. The one where he like like rapes yeah. Santa or something or like strips Santa <laughs> and steals his I don't know. God knows, but there's some freaky like you want to talk about people you can't get in the mind of. This guy is certifiable. I really think he might be, so for yeah. God's sake. I'm trying to find the word. I, I probably won't be able to find it. It's like de- dextrucity, dextrucity or distrucity just I can't even say it. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's supposed to be like destruction, but a different verb. But 
different also like not in this world yeah. so yeah pretty much he was pitching he was pitching them on a religion that they would have to like join in order to bring him back and for some reason they brought him back anyway god sake, that shows you how desperate they were i guess because for god's sake ugh. okay so if fear is the air that cowards breathe then cowards are not cowards they're just in a different air like it would be the fault of the air that they <laughs> that they have i would think and not them You're and it would also that. mean that brave people are not brave because they would simply, I guess, be breathing air that would be the opposite or different than fear. <laughs> You're thinking very hard about this. Um, no, I just, I just want to make it clear that just because you say things that sound smart doesn't make you smart. And I don't think he ever understood that. And I liked his promos better when I couldn't understand any of them. So I'm going to go back to that in the well series. Well said. You tried. That's more than <laughs> most people can say. So. Okay. So now we got WrestleMania three version of 1989. We're going to get the ultimate warrior taking on Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk about Andre, like, didn't like Warrior because nobody liked Warrior. Um, but, like, he tries to give him a lot. And I think it was our prof who also mentioned at Survivor Series he tried to give a lot because he took a very big bump out of the ring when he was not in great shape to do so. And here he will, like, wobble around a lot for Warrior, and he will just kind of, like, try to make him look good. And, um, yeah, I don't know, like... I guess is that the worst thing I ever saw. It's still Andre, yeah. so Andre does some Andre things. But, yeah, I, I didn't really think too much of this. I don't know. Yeah, I will say Warriors, the actual rebuttal of Heenan and others is like, and I think he might be right in this scenario, is that if Andre hated him like people said, like Andre never treated him like that, and Andre would not have sold for him and put him over like he did because Andre didn't do what he, did, what he didn't want to do. So I don't know if I – agree with that though because what what we've seen very strongly that andre was a team player and he really wanted to stay involved with wwf he wanted to stay involved in wrestling and even though probably he was strong-willed but like he worked with randy savage he didn't like him and he worked very well with him and uh i don't know so i just don't really buy that i think he would have done what vince asked him to at this point and uh, even if he didn't like Warrior, which I'm sure he didn't, because nobody did. So there you go. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a fair rebuttal as well. Uh, I will say I think I agree with you that this is it's not a good match, but it's not a horrible match. But uh, there's a couple of things that bothered me. Number one is like Ultimate Warrior choking Andre where he was like just pushing him up and down on the ropes like he's a rag doll is not something that I wanted to see. It wasn't believable to me. Right. And then – Ultimate Warrior putting Andre in a bear hug. Like, what What the hell am I supposed to imagine is happening to Andre with, with a bear hug by the Ultimate Warrior? And he did it, um, he did a Yeti-style bear hug yeah. as well, where he just sort of wrapped <laughs> his arms around and kind of, like, humped his hips. So, you know, flash forward to 1995 WCW with that. Um, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, and, uh, like... Andre definitely gives a lot to the warrior. He gives more to warrior than he really gave to Hogan or Savage or others. And like, he just doesn't deserve it in my opinion. So, yeah. And I will say again, and I'm not knocking the popularity of the ultimate warrior. I think at Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, he's going to be like massive popularity, but I have not seen anything that to me separates him from the baby faces, especially adding in the kind of push that he's getting right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Um, his push is, is very massive, and I don't know if he's really standing out that much. I guess he was in the minds of some people, but watching back, it's not quite the same. 
No, it's not, and I'm waiting for it because I think it happens. But right now he's not getting much bigger ovation, or even if bigger than a lot of the baby faces. You know, it's like similar to I would say, you know, popular baby faces. But at the same time, like nowhere did I feel. And maybe Andre Stock has just fallen that much, but this got no treatment in the building. Like they were watching something, you know, that had history, or you know, that just like, oh man, I better pay attention to what happens. This is Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant. I do feel like Andre Stack has finally kind of fallen off um, somewhere in this year, in like the middle of this year, maybe. Uh, so I feel like it was still very hot with like Jake and that whole feud. Um, but after that, I feel like it just hasn't quite been the same. So I don't know why. I don't know where exactly that turning point happened, but it has felt different. Have you ever refereed a match? I have never refereed a match. Oh, damn. I haven't either. I was going to ask your opinion about if you were refereeing and you saw you did not see Bobby Heenan interfere, but all you saw was the Ultimate Warrior throw Bobby Heenan onto Andre. Who would you disqualify? <laughs> uh, I would never want to. If I was a referee in a match with the Ultimate Warrior, I would have quit already. So uh, I can't answer that. Even that throw was horrible. Like Heenan lands halfway off Andre, and it's not a throw. It's just like a I don't know. I, I, yeah, by the time, like I was, he couldn't pick up Heenan very well. It was very clumsy. It looked a little yeah. scary. And then he didn't, like, halfway falls on his head again. Yes. And, God, like, it must have just been awful to work with the Ultimate Warrior. Like, holy God, I couldn't imagine um, going in there. Like, think about your job and think about, like, if you were asked to work with someone who was just so bad at their job that you might get hurt. Like, you wouldn't do it, probably. So. And they want to promote him in record time to so just, like, <laughs> deal with it. So, we can, you know, like, yes, yes, all of that sounds like something I want to do with my time. Oh. Yeah, I can't imagine. So, yeah, here we are. This is proving more and more like a failed experiment because there's a lot of on the record saying, again, I said it last week, that there are fans that will leave during Warriors title reign after Hogan wrestles. There are at least claims that could be true or false that people were still wanting, like ABC town shows, like three running three shows, world champion Warriors on one, Hogan's on another, that, spent, that a lot of wrestlers still wanted to be on the Hulk Hogan show because that was going to draw more money than the world champion show. And so the Warriors really like the burden of proof is more and more on the ultimate warrior uh, for meaning something anywhere close to what he's supposed to mean to this era. Yeah. And I will say more and more a narrative that I used to accept looks like bullshit that Hulk Hogan like messed with warrior by walking back in the ring. Guess <laughs> what? That wasn't even like a raindrop in the ocean of the ultimate warriors problems. So that's my opinion now. Yeah. I, I want to. I guess we can never hear this from anybody but Hogan because it's probably like Hogan is one of the most dishonest like people. He's an exaggerator. He is a a lot of things. He makes a claim that I never heard on the Austin show that Warrior got nervous and blew up in the beginning of the WrestleMania six match and he wanted to go home like five minutes into the match and just like get it over with. And the reason that you can you can easily see this as a lie that Hogan's telling, but the reason I see it partly as truth is that. Hogan claims what he told him is, no, we're going to do this whole match, and you're going to put me in the military press and splash it, and I'm going to kick out of your mood before we go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But does Warrior kick out of the leg drop also? I can't remember. I can't remember. Now, I know that Hogan – I think Hogan might have him pinned when the referee's out, but I think he does it again when the referee's up, and I think Warrior kicks out of it. But Hogan – 
wanted like Hogan did not want to put him over and just go away without at least showing that he too had done something that you know would be remembered that fans could argue like you know oh well he kicked out of the Ultimate Warriors you know finishing move. I'll say true or not, I believe that Hulk Hogan definitely would have done that, you know, so yeah. like the spirit of it is true regardless. There is no way Hulk Hogan is going to let himself get pinned in like a five minute match with the Ultimate Warrior. And, uh, you know, as much as Hulk Hogan at times should have put people over, uh, arguably, he would be very right, I think, to protect his spot in this time, in this place, and with this guy. Yeah. So, if he hadn't, Vince would have been the one in trouble because oh yeah, this, this thing was going off the rails. Uh, he also said, and I hear this a lot. Like Luger, we'll get into this with Luger and Diesel later, bodies and size and stuff. But he said that he saw Vince McMahon look at the Ultimate Warrior, and like when he saw what the Ultimate Warrior's his body, how chiseled he is, like Hulk Hogan's, like I got big arms and I got like one. Like one ab show, and he's got like a twelve pack, and like Vincent Man did not look at him the same. Like it was purely look at this body, look at that body, and like why would we not be going in the direction of this new young like ripped body? Like that is the future, you know. So guess what, Hulk Hogan could pick people up without hurting them. So yeah, what does that I'm, tell you about the the kinds of muscles that they had? So yeah, watch the Ultimate Warrior, folks. Watch him hand Bobby Heenan off, and it's just so pitiful. And Bobby is a great bumper, so I don't know what the like. How can you not get Bobby Heenan to Andre the Giant? That seems, you know, like like you're playing basketball and the rim is the size of a room. Can you get the ball through a room-sized rim? I think you can, but man, this is I guess we're asking a lot here. So just dump him on his head one more time and see what comes of it. You injured the ball, so I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> Okay, so that's a disqualification. Andre the Giant is disqualified for that uh, toss of Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get the cheer, yay. But at least it wasn't. I figured we'd be watching one of those house show matches where Warrior clotheslined him and splashed him and pinned him. So it's a good match in that it, they didn't do that to Andre on TV. Yeah. Or at least on Saturday Night's Main Event. Indeed. Uh, I've seen those matches, and they're just what you'd expect. So. <clears throat> That's what he did to the Honk Dunk, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To Andre. It ain't right. Figure that out. Okay. <laughs> Jesse Ventura is with the genius. I love uh, the way they're making this about Brain versus Braun. I, I was a little bit intrigued with, like, okay, so which one is going to win? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can go that far. Um, I like Lanny Poffo, actually. I kind of like the genius gimmick. Um I really was just sitting the whole time. I'm like, why is this match happening, though? Like, how in yeah. God's name does the genius have a title shot on Saturday night's main event? Does he not have any client that he could, like, put in this spot instead? So th- this wasn't all bad, but, like, I don't know. This was another sign of things going off the rails a little bit to me, that the fact that this match existed in this place. So They've done this a couple of times in matches that make no sense, and they just go right into it selling it like it's the most natural uh, next matchup. I don't know what that's what, about. What else are you thinking of? I can't remember now. I thought we did Hogan wrestle Honky Tonk Man at one point. He did. Uh, that yeah, that was similarly baffling. So yeah, it was way after Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, was the Intercontinental Champion was in his run, and they just they just kind of revive it like you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Here's a thing. And you <laughs> I know. think that was also at '89 actually. So yeah, so that's there you crazy. go. <laughs> Uh, Hulk Hogan says that Genius has a high IQ but a low tolerance pain and that there's something about math and Hulkamaniacs and stuff. And, uh, you know. <laughs> he, he's competing with a future 
Scott Steiner here with his math because he has mm. some some specific equations <laughs> that he says add up to a certain something. Um, and he also does a uh, a lame poem to uh, yeah, so prove lame. his intelligence. So there you go. The only thing I liked about that is because to me the genius is not brains either. That's a bad like play on like oh smart people are stupid. Boo them. They make. But you know when Hogan did his rhyme, it really made me feel like it was brains versus brawn. <laughs> <laughs> so that helped me a little bit. He lived down to his side for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, so we got Hogan and the genius. The genius is doing all kinds of stretches before the match, and Vince McMahon is not having it. And Jesse Ventura <laughs> says, how did you prepare for croquet when you played? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was interesting. Um, it wasn't really, but one interesting thing was Jesse Ventura always portrays Vince as like an Ivy League, um, you know, like yes. a stuffed shirt intellectual fake person so it's pretty much what the genius is so they, there was something to be said there yes he also says if you had muscle you might know about that <laughs> all right this should tell you everything you need to know about the framing of this match it starts with like an attempted handshake and hulk hogan like his way of outsmarting yes. lanny poffo is when he puts out his right hand he puts out the wrong hand he puts out his <laughs> left hand oh he puts out the wrong hand again and this is like Hulk Hogan's way of outsmarting the genius, I guess, is just showing he doesn't know how to shake hands. So yes. that should tell you what you need to know. Genius goes outside and writes on the scroll at one point, and I don't know if this has ever happened, but I feel like there needs to be a gimmick where someone is about as good as the genius, but they think that their their social media account, they're, like, fucking amazing on their social media account, so they just, like, leave the ring to, like, uh, post a tweet about how well things are going in the matchup, and they're just, like, dominating their social media account while they wrestle like the genius in this matchup with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I love that idea. I wonder if it exists somewhere. If it doesn't, it ought to. Yeah. Um, I'll say Pavo going out of the ring to write those equations was probably my favorite part of the whole match just because it made me laugh. And also, I'm pretty sure he donated that scroll to the York Foundation so they can make yes. the computer. So there's a connection for you. They're calling him the computerized man and all this stuff in this, you know, so a year or so before Michael Wall Street and others. Uh, very interesting. I also thought this might have been the match that inspired Mr. Nanny. <laughs> I have never seen Mr. Nanny, and yet somehow that feels right to me, so you may have something there. Um, this match, it goes on much longer than you would think, and it's all like just Lanny Poffo is prancing around and being like effeminate and weird, and Hulk Hogan is like disgusted and beats him up, and I don't know. It goes on for like just a long time, and uh, I was not a fan of most of this. Here's the surprise of the night, the, the genius is going to win the match. <laughs> he does. Did you see that one? I, I, uh, I think I actually maybe knew that was coming for some okay. reason, but uh, also you, wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. Um, Kurt Henning walks out at one point. He is uh, the genius's client. We didn't mention it before, but he was out there with Bret Hart, um, which probably tells you everything you need to know about how important the genius is to that act. But uh, yeah. Kurt Hennig squishes some gum on the title belt. Hulk Hogan is pissed. Mr. Perfect keeps hanging around. And eventually Hulk Hogan gets counted out. So the genius holds a victory over Hulk Hogan. And uh, I don't know what you can say about that. We will hear about it later. So uh, 
this one of these, that. man, it's one of these dumb count outs where the referee suddenly counts 50 times faster <laughs> yes. than they ever did in their life. And I hate when they do that. It's so lazy. Like, time it out, right, if you're going to do it. And they just, they don't bother. So it's annoying. I think that, that speaks to everything happening right now because I think we got an amazing opportunity, but we're rushing it. It's coming out of nowhere. You know, later on, like I've already spoiled, Purpose going to break the belt with a hammer. And so here's several things that happen. Number one, he put gum on the belt. And this is a stupid thing, but I also thought it was kind of awesome. Like, if he had only put gum on the belt to show, like, this is an imperfect belt, an imperfect champion, and Hogan won the match like usual, and Hogan grabs the belt and does his pose down, like, I don't think anything would have bothered Hulk Hogan in the history of his career, like, being in the middle of a pose down with his belt and then noticing that there's gum on his championship. (laughs) I think you have something there. I like the image of that. Yeah, they could have almost spaced this out more, like the gum first, yeah. then the breaking. They kind of did it all at once, so that's a good point. It felt like he put gum on the belt, then he was going to steal the belt, then he didn't steal the belt, then he did steal the belt, and then, like, I think Mr. Perfect breaking the belt with a hammer ought to be on a show with a segment in the ring. Like, that. that's a big deal to me, and, yeah. you know, I love that they did all of these things. I just think in a better era and better booking, this is a month and a half. And it's just it launches Mr. Perfect even more than it you know than it does. A year or two ago, they would have handled it differently. I agree. Is it not dramatic for someone to be breaking the WWF title into pieces? This is so. We've said a lot of good things about this era, but I feel like they do often leave these opportunities for drama uh, on the shelf. Um, mm. You know, they kind of do things in such a way where sometimes it's like, oh well, a thing just happened. And they could have milked it a lot more. I don't know. Maybe it's to their credit that they don't, that things are a little understated. But still, like, eventually Bobby Heenan will retire. And it'll just be like, hey, I'm retired now. When there's, like, such a rich opportunity to, like, do something more dramatic. So, I don't know. It's just kind of, like, part and parcel to the era that sometimes they will just leave stuff on the table and you're not quite sure why. I just feel like that. when I watched all this, I kind of enjoyed it because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know any of this existed, and I'm like, how in the world is Mr. Perfect doing these things? Like, you know, <laughs> it's a great angle for sure. It just, yeah, it all just kind of happens suddenly. So yeah, and when he steals the belt, if he had the belt for a week or two, and then he goes on a show, uh, like my mind would think, okay, this is Ted DiBiase Jr. Like he thinks you can just take the belt and that makes you a world champion. And he tees out like, what in the world are you doing with the belt? Hogan wants the belt back. Why do you have the belt? It doesn't make you a world champion. You might be perfect. You're no closer to being the world champion. So what are you doing with the belt? And then he just decides, like, here's what I'm doing. And I'm destroying the belt. And he destroys it. And then he gives the speech about this is an imperfect belt because it's never had a perfect champion. We got an imperfect champion. I'm destroying the belt as a symbol of this Hulkamania, this imperfect thing that has been cast upon us like i feel like you can you can make all that stuff bigger and and take longer to happen and it still comes out beautiful and then it matters more Mm. yeah no i agree that sounds better to me so it's good it's very iconic i think once you see it but it could be even more and that's what i'm i'm saying yeah like you you miss an opportunity to milk some extra drama out of this stuff yeah it's already broken on the floor by the time we get to it, you know. Right, we don't even see the initial break. I don't know if that was like a practicality thing, if they had yeah. to break it in a different way or something. But you got like there should have been some way around that, you would think. I don't know. Yeah. In in a couple of years, they're gonna throw a man through a barbershop window. So 
<laughs> yeah. A couple more years, you're going to throw a title off a bridge. So, you know, a lot of things right. will happen in the future. So It's so good, too, because Perfect's such an angry man. Like, he's got a bad temper, and it's the one that I believe in. It makes me uncomfortable, and they're playing into that as he catapults himself. And I just love this obnoxious leap from finding him on bonus footage to, like, taking over Saturday night's main event is it's unprecedented in a way. It is and it isn't. I feel like it often it's almost like Kurt Hennig just got here, even though he's been here mm. for like maybe a year or two. A lot of times they'll break someone in and they'll go to the top quickly. So it's like that, but also Kurt Hennig has been like hanging around for like a year or so. So I don't know. It is interesting. They don't do it exactly this way often. Yeah, and it is part of the WWF that there's a lot of things that I will later hate about this company that are still here, but they don't dominate. Like this is partly what you're saying is like history. All, all that matters is what they say matters when they say it matters. It's just that it all fits together more often, I think, in this era than it does in others. But there's still some of that attitude that will tell you what matters when it matters and when it doesn't, it doesn't. And you'll just go along with it. Yeah, I mean, I think they do it with more credibility because if you mm. want to tell me, well, Kurt Henning has been like on the show he hasn't stepped out yet, and now he's choosing to step out. I'm like, okay, sure, I can believe that. But when you're like, this this never happened, even though you saw it, like that's a different yeah. conversation, you know. So yes. it's a different sort of thing. Absolutely. So this is it's a it's an interesting show to watch. And then Gene Arkland's going to be in the back. Uh, this is what we've been waiting for, folks. Uh, uh, the big boss man, Slick. Um, uh, Slick says that Dusty Rose is a repeat offender. You're gonna feel the pain, the whole pain, and nothing but the pain. So they're playing up their 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 gimmick, uh, per use. Per use, yes, indeed. Um, we have been waiting for this for a long time. We get to see the clip of Dusty kind of gaining that nightstick and handcuffs. I don't think we've seen before. Um, yeah, Slick uh, speaks against Dusty. Um, it says he's a repeat offender against them, and mm. uh, Bossman promises him pain. I want to say this. We've said a lot of good things about Slick. I haven't said this yet. I love his intonations. Like, his mm-hmm. way of speaking is not natural. It's not how a human would speak. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's something, like, very musical or, like, lyrical yeah. about it. It's almost like uh, he speaks like jazz or something. Like, the, the, the syncopation is not what you would expect. And it's to his credit. I love the way he talks. I think it's very good. Yeah, it's the same thing with Dusty Rhodes. It's this exaggeration where two things, one of two things can happen when you see this kind of stuff. You can say, this is not realistic. Like, I can't identify with it. It's not entertaining. Like, what the hell is this? Or it can, like I said earlier in the show, it can have a felt sense that almost resonates with something that's truer than the way that we actually behave because it's like he is, you know, this is a guy who is often kind of his whole stance you know, is this thing about you're going to cheat us, you're going to marginalize us, you're going to do these things. So in response, I am going to be bigger than you want me to be. I'm going to be more present. It also helps that he's a very skinny man who has taken up so much room. And (laughs) how you do that is a phenomenal thing to talk about in itself. But that's what's happening right now. Now he's got the big boss man and everybody understands, especially in 2020, the whole law enforcement issue. And now Slick has like flipped the table and like, hey, guess what? I am going to be the administrator of justice. Like I am going to be Hulk Hogan in this company. I am going to be the one who decides what's right and wrong. And so I think 
the voice is beautiful in itself and the way he plays it. But I also think it just captures a bigness of a I am a skinny man who might be marginalized in all these areas and I'm going to take up a lot of space and I'm going to be heard and deal with it. When we were nominating best promo guys of this era, only two managers made the list. It was Bobby Heenan and it was Slick. And I think uh, that's very well deserved. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. Like Slick is definitely underrated in this era. You know, you, to me, you got Slick, Sherry, and Bobby Heenan. Then you got uh, what Jimmy Hart and I'm probably who, – who else is it? Fuji with the Fuji. mustard. <laughs> yes. You know, there's different, level, there's different levels to these things. So imagine being – in an era where Bobby Heenan is existing and we're still talking this much about you. That's how good Slick is. Absolutely. And I totally agree. Like those five we said are like the big five. Um, you know, that's the most iconic group of managers you'll get, but I totally agree. You've got three that are just on a higher level when you look back and law and watch like we do. Yeah. This, uh, I noticed this as well. I don't know if he was doing it up even bigger or we just haven't mentioned it, but I also had that thought. Uh, about the way that he was speaking in this promo. So, mm-hmm. what happens to him after Bossman? Do we know? Uh, he's got some more stuff. Like, okay, he's got some stuff. Eventually, he turns a uh, face, which is super weird. He's another one of these guys who like kind of found Jesus and felt like he had to be a good guy, and uh, <laughs> it just won't be the same. But yeah, he'll be around till ninety one, ninety two, even yeah. I think. Yeah. So he'll, he'll he'll have some stuff. I think that's what's starting to bother me in a like subconscious place is that I know somewhere people are going to start disappearing and we're not going to be ready for all of them. Like some are just going to drop off and say, oh, my God, um, wait a second. (laughs) There'll be a time when we'll be begging for Mr. Fuji to come back as we suffer through Harvey Whippleman and other (laughs) other low end managers. So it'll happen. But uh, we'll, we'll deal with it as we come to it. I take your point 100%, but I would not want Mr. Fuji to come back if it could change to uh, 1993. So. <laughs> I know you got a special relationship, so <laughs> I, I totally understand. So um, Don't worry. Someday Jimmy Hart will be uh, worse than all of them as he <laughs> manages the Hogan beefcake team. So, you know. This is why it feels like to be a Lex Luger fan. You, you look at Bobby Heenan, Slick, Sherry, and you're like, well, none of those managers hold anything. Like the, the manager I'm afraid of is at the end of the line. The guy with the mustard, that's who I fear. <laughs> <laughs> the mustard and the salt. He has all the, the condiments on the table ready for you. So. Oh, man. All right, Gene and Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes says it's country music to his ears. Um, he says the common people need a common man to lead them. Mm. Yeah, I, the more I think about it, there's like Dusty Rhodes and the tie dye who only existed for like a little while. And then there's like polka dot Dusty who is not as bad, who is more like just Dusty wearing like a weird thing. So yeah. as long as we don't have tie dye Dusty back, I think we'll be doing good because this is a good promo and uh, I'm going to enjoy this match as well. I like that distinction. And also he's starting to build a language and a frame that if he had to push to go with it, I think he would have done big things despite all of this. You know, he does in a way, but you, you know what I mean at the same time. I, I do. I was just going to say he's going to do some stuff that I think we'll appreciate a lot. But uh, to your point, yeah, um, could have been even more. And uh, it's left on the table. So, you know, it is what it is. I would also say to folks, just listen to Warrior's pop when he comes out and Dusty's pop. I don't think they're far off of each other. And one's in the biggest push of his life and one is uh, being ripped by the company that he works for. Well, I think uh, there's some credibility to that statement, so I'll ask people to judge for themselves what the reactions sound like. Um, so, yeah, we waited a long time for this match. 
And uh, it's a very solid match. I had fun with it, but it's very short. And I took the time to kind of look around, and I think this is the only match they have that actually is on tape, um, which is very sad, because they had this whole house show feud, and I guess, uh, you know, they have multiple loops, and sometimes, like, the loops are just not in the places, which actually get taped, you know, MSG, Philadelphia, Boston, a few other places, so I'm very sad that we don't have, like, a longer match between these two, this is pretty much all we're going to get, but uh, it is fun, it is solid, it's probably less than five minutes, but uh, I still had fun watching this, so I'm glad we at least got this. Yeah, it's a match that's not about the match, right. so yeah. and that's a shame when you got these two. Although I have my one exaggeration, then we'll get back to that reality because it starts off really fast. Like I was about to write notes, and Boston is running, Dusty's moving, and I was like, "Great speed to start." This reminds me of my first time watching Brian Pillman versus Jushin Liger. <laughs> So there's a comparison, folks, to take home with you for the day. Oh, man. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, there's there's something so much to be said for these guys, though. And I know those guys kind of, like, broke in and showed everybody something different. But, man, like, that style has become the norm so much mm-hmm. that I almost actually prefer to go back and watch guys like this from this time. Because, yeah, there is, like, speed. There's motion. Um, I talk a lot about the way Big Boss Man gives punches, but I want to talk a minute about how he sells them, because when Dusty is hitting him, he is just, like, whipping around, and the way he just sells getting punched is, like, a thing of beauty as well, so it's a different sort of thing, and I think it's no less beautiful in its own way. Is the move the surfboard that Liger does where he, like, has you by the legs and the arms and, like, you're horizontal over him? That's right. I would love to see one of these, like, Bossman or Dusty do it to the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> god yeah that would have been great i would have loved it man oh man the point of of all this is that they didn't get a lot of time but they could have done anything that they if they had been allowed like you just i don't care if i watched him wrestle 10 times and i was disappointed 10 times i would still say you know show me the 11th match uh, this is a feud that i i desperately would have loved. you know i almost wonder I got to look and see if they wrestled in a different gimmick or something, because I know I think Dusty helped break in uh, Big Bubba. So they have some connections there. So maybe there actually is a secret match that I didn't know about. But uh, I would love these guys. Can you imagine having like 10, 15 minutes uh, blood, you know, Mm -hmm. going all out? Just like, man, that would be that's one of the best things that I can think of. So there's definitely something left on the table there. And if you want to know if Dusty, Dusty is a smart man, watch the folks that he builds up to try to feed to himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because what he did with Bubba in the 80s is what he was doing with Ming in the 90s. Sure, yeah, absolutely, man. Very good at helping other people look good. It's so strange to me that at a time, like, his name was kind of a bad word to some people. Because you listen to, like, Steve Austin in his WC, in his ECW promos, like he goes after Bishop, but he goes after Dusty just as much in those promos and talks about being like held back and stuff. So, yeah. so there's another story there, but also we have to recognize that Dusty could be incredible at making others look good at putting them over, and we got to put some respect on that. Absolutely. If you're being honest, every narrative is complicated because, like, should. I wanted Austin pushed since 1991, and I damn sure wanted him pushed in 94. But Austin's another – like, every guy at the top 
or has the talent to be at the top thinks that they should be pushed all the time. And so yeah. I think they should have pushed him better. But like how, you also can't get mad sometimes if someone has some other idea that is not you. You know, so it's all complicated. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Man, I'm looking up, though, 1987, 86, bunch of steel cage matches between mm-hmm. Big Bubba and Dusty Rhodes. I don't know if they're on tape or not, but I might have to search for that at some point because that sounds beautiful to me. Okay, I will say this on air, then I was going to talk to you after the show. Uh, it came to my mind because I am not happy that after – Survivor Series 1990, I think it is. Like, we're going to get a squash of Dusty Rhodes, and he's going to be out the door. So mm. I'm thinking that I would like to do, if you're okay with it, after Survivor Series, do a special like we did with Vader on Dusty Rhodes, where we pick matches, uh, listeners pick matches, and we do an entire episode uh, dedicated to Dusty Rhodes after he goes out at WWF. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I'm completely on board. Awesome, man. I'm looking forward to that. It, it, Dusty just matters in a way... We didn't get him really in NWA, and we're getting something of him in WWF, and we are going to put an end to this kind of dancing around a thing that, uh, again, inspired Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, so we're going to give him the treatment that he deserves in the Legacy Series. Absolutely, and perhaps someday we will uh, also be able to do NWA the Legacy Series and put even more shine on his name. Who knows if we will, but uh, it's, it's a possibility out there that we should definitely be thinking about. A hundred and ten percent. Miss Van hit it. This is a short matchup. You know, you can see the potential, but you don't really get it. Slick is once again having problems with this fan at ringside. But now Big Boss Man's asked him to go get the nightstick, and he gets the nightstick. But instead of giving it to the boss man, he gets distracted in another argument with this fan at ringside, and it all goes to hell. Dusty Rose catches a roll up. He gets in out, gets the pin, and. I still thought it was just about Dusty and Sapphire, and my mind was blown. And like five minutes, five seconds later, Bossman's throwing the nightstick, and Bossman and Slick are going at it verbally on the floor. What is going on right now in this era with these heels and their managers and their wrestlers, man? <laughs> if you ever needed to look forward to uh, 1998, then just think about Big Bossman turning face, and that that alone does it for me. Like I can't wait for that stuff. It's gonna be very good. It's a smart man. Uh, like, it made sense to bring him in like they did because I like, hear some story, here's some narrative, here's some flipping of things. But then when you get that, this is just an over-the-top character with, like, a deep blue shirt and, like, you know, he's going to become just an embodiment. Uh, like, another one of these great gimmicks that WWF has that if they existed somewhere else, you might not even watch it. But in this world, you know, they are what this era is about. <laughs> Absolutely so. And it, it follows a certain pattern that I think – uh <clears throat> is worthy of, of looking at. A lot of these guys, they come in, they're, they're big very quickly, they fight Hulk Hogan, and then uh, a lot of times they just fall down the card and sometimes they're never heard from again. But if they're good enough, if they're popular enough, they tend to turn face. Look at mm-hmm. Randy Savage, look at what happened to him. I feel like you're seeing the same thing with Big Boss Man. We saw Paul Orndorff, who then like turned back again later on and have an even bigger feud. So yeah, like talent will out, guys who fight Hogan and lose... You know, they may fall down the card, but if they're good enough, they may also turn into amazing baby faces, and that's what we're about to see here. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a that's a well said. And it's the thing with WWF, I think I said it earlier with Red Rooster, there's some very unfair things that happen, but oftentimes if you get past what is unfair, like you get a really good run for just like surviving you know, that hazing that you take at the beginning of this company's uh, treatment of you. 
Absolutely so. I'm trying to remember exactly when he turns face. I remember he will fight uh, Ted DiBiase, and that might be the feud that mm. kind of turns him around. But it, it may be earlier than that as well. So I, I want to watch it real close. I think there's going to be some really good stuff to to catch. Definitely by this next WrestleMania, he will be a babyface. So we wow. will check that out very soon. It says something about the awfulness of DiBiase, how many people I think he can turn face. <laughs> you know, yeah, yes, he's a he's almost Bobby Heenan like in his catalyst for like just if you fight him, you will get over as a face. Mm. So that's uh, that that means a lot. That's something very special. He's always been to me a sort of he's almost got a foot in both the worlds, the world that I love and the world that I don't in that I feel like he's got some complicated, big narratives, great gimmick. And then he's got some things where sometimes it's like, oh, I'm an awful person. I do awful things, whether it benefits me or not. And so whether he gets you with the storyline or he gets you with just like, I am awful because I'm a heel. Like either way, he influences a great many people in their trajectories in this world. Absolutely so. Uh, I really want to be able to talk about the last match and the last angle, so I'm going to push us to move on here okay. a little more quickly. All right, so Dusty dances with Sapphire, and uh, again, I don't know how it's going to go, but they really feel like uh, some underdog uh, Disney characters to go with this Sherry Savage thing that is cooking in the WWF. Yeah, and they're going to be paired up in a, at a feud that I, I remember enjoying a lot, so we're going to visit that and have a good time with it. Gene um, the Red Rooster and we don't care so we'll, we'll pass that <laughs> I'll say again Terry Taylor sucks as a person and as a wrestler but uh, again the idea that he didn't commit to this rooster thing yes. is ridiculous so I got a shout out again what a stupid credibility destroying narrative that is from one Bruce Pritchard yeah he says crow and chickens hatching in this promo so he's doing <laughs> what he can do that will tell you um this is another short match. Mr. Perfect versus the Red Rooster. Mr. Perfect wins without very much trouble, as he should. And uh, I don't I don't really want to spend that much more time on the match unless you have something to say. No, I don't even have notes on it. All right, great. Moving on to uh, our main event of the evening. And it really actually feels like a main event for once, even though it's not one of the title matches. Oh, man, we have the Brainbusters set to take on their old rivals, the Rockers. It is once again a two out of three falls match as is uh, strangely common for the division at this time, yet uh, they're always exciting, so I give credit to it. But, man, there is some stuff going on here, and we have alluded to it, but uh, it deserves some deep conversation right here. I love the fact that when they go to Gene Oakland, the Brain Busters, and Bobby Heenan, they are already arguing before we even get there. Mm, yes, people who exist when the camera is not on are... Uh, yes. Always very valuable, so I appreciated that greatly. And it's just made different temperaments because both Tolly and Arn are going to try to push back, but Arn Anderson's voice makes it a lot harder for Heenan to steamroll them the way that he wants to. <laughs> Arn Anderson, yes, he speaks very authoritatively. Um, the way he speaks is just, it's very hard to refute Arn Anderson, so I totally get what you're saying with that. Because Heenan's going forward, even when Tully argues with him, he's kind of just pushing, pushing, pushing. Then Arn gets it into a conversation where he says, one mistake, don't sink the ship. And then Bobby Heenan's like, well, it's not one mistake, uh, but you didn't listen to me. And then he says something about, we listened to you, and that's why we lost. And it gets to a point 
after the Arn inter interjection where there is no space of commonality. They're standing in the same room, but they are worlds apart, and there is no crossing that boundary, I don't think, after that discussion. Oh, man. I love this little promo because it's so intelligent on all three sides. Mm. Like, yes. everyone is fully engaged. Everyone is speaking like they would, you know, if they were people. There are no kind of, like, stock lines. There's nothing that is just sort of, like, recycled. It's everybody has their viewpoint. It's fleshed out. They're really, like, trying to hash it out here. And as you say, they even end up, like, farther apart at the end of this. But they do it so naturally that you're like, I, I just saw a real conversation. You know, it, it's brilliantly done. It's the problem of the NWA because WWF, a lot of these guys are characters and they're not thinkers. They have managers for a reason, and Bobby Heenan can tell them something, and you know he's screwing them over, but they, don't, they never turn on him for an intellectual reason. They just start feeling like, I don't like this anymore. Punch you in the face. But, you know, NWA guys are thinkers, and they reason, and so Arn Anderson makes an articulation with Bobby Heenan that I don't think we see that often because it's just usually big emotion, big energy uh, moment that gets carried away. Or, or attempts, like, I guess Bobby Heenan and Red Rooster went back and forth, but I don't remember a thing they said on that show. I just remember Brooklyn Brawler laying him out. But Arn Anderson, we get a conversation, and we got to go to the NWA, I feel like, to have this level of uh, back and forth here. Absolutely. And uh, please note, no puns in the whole thing. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that also raises the level of discourse, so that, that'll That's tell you a little bit of something here. That is, that is an underrated comment right there, right off the jump. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, this definitely puts you in mind already of, like, the Brain Busters versus the Colossal Connection is so something that should have happened based mm -hmm. on this. Like, what a brilliant – we already talked about it. I got to talk about it again just because it was such a brilliant suggestion, and uh, I absolutely love the idea of it. It's beautiful. Like, I can see it at WrestleMania. You know – I've always been like perplexed because Arn Anderson's got a little bit of a little bit of fat on him, so I think he's the muscle of the group in the <laughs> WWF. They, they say it all the time. But in that matchup, it would be interesting because Poor Toley would have to deal, I guess, with a Haku, and it would be Arn Anderson's job to like spinebuster uh, Andre the Giant and deal with him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh! If only. Imagine they had two more months on their contract. Even if they just went to the Rumble, lost, mm. and left anyway. For God's sakes, what a valuable couple of months that would have been. Just, uh. And I'll That's say amazing. again, the fact that they could never come back because Tully Blanchard would be, like, banned out of the sport. Like, by the time this aired, he is all, his career is over, like, forever. So, it's just, uh, it's ridiculous, and it's unfair, and it's not, it's not right. That's not right. I don't watch wrestling, and yet I would pay money to unlock those hidden months if I could. Yes, right. Oh, my God. Whew, oh, all right. I even like the idea of you turn on babyface, like you said, you guys said in the forums, uh, www.loppforums.com, so that you can have them wrestle everybody that they've not been wrestling because they're on the other side of the fence. But I could see after that, totally Blanchard uh, realizing, okay, this isn't working anymore, and turning on Arn and going back to the family and then having like a totally Arn feud. Oh. Right? Did that, I don't think that ever happened. God, that could have been so. just so brilliant. So, oh my God. So that right there, we just booked them out for another two years maybe in the company <laughs> to the benefit of the company. Oh, easily. Uh, it just spins my head 
to think that Tully Blanchard was just put on the shelf by everyone. And I can't understand it. And I don't get the impression that Tully was a nice person that people wanted to work with. And maybe that was a contributing factor. But God, prime years from a wonderful performer just left on the shelf just for no good reason that we could see, for no apparent reason to the fans. Ah, I'll just shout out again how ridiculous it is. Oh, he took cocaine. Guess what? Guess what? Look around. Your ultimate warrior is just fueled by cocaine. I don't think we've seen him not on cocaine one time. I don't know what he would look like if he wasn't on cocaine. So let's just maybe climb down off the ridiculous hypocritical horse, shall we? You can't tell me Vince McMahon's nose wasn't white half the time. So for God's sakes, it was just the era of cocaine for heaven's sake. I think there was a disagreement on money, and Vince McMahon's like, I took these horrible uh, barnyard creatures and made stars out of them, and now they're going to leave and not going to appreciate what I've done. Let me ruin them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And WCW just just joined in, I guess. Um, oh, that's uh, that's utterly. I I don't know. Again, I, it's hard to equate something. I have learned that if people don't like you, like we can't see that oftentimes as fans, but. You don't do yourself any favors if you're not liked by the powers that be in professional wrestling. Yeah, it's difficult because, yeah, the story goes that after, you know, they got screwed by WWF, they already had like a deal that they were going to go to NWA and NWA. Well, now we're not going to take Tully and Arn. We're not going to pay you nearly as much because we don't think you're as valuable by yourself. So. So, yeah, just like the injustices abound in this whole situation. And WWF, you can afford to do it. NWA, you are fucking stupid not to, like, you, you're not in a place to be, like, too, to be too choosy. So just, like, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I remember from 1990, this was a year that they could have used the help, for God's sake. Yeah. So, big mistake on their part. So, Can you imagine uh, watching them in WWF and not thinking anything else but, my God, we better get them back as fast as we can and not let them go again? Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it. I don't know it's just, I just, if it's a Jim Hurd thing or just what incompetence was at play, but definitely some ridiculous ideas were happening in this time. Yeah, it can't be as simple as, like, oh, he te- he failed that test, and if it gets out in the Observer, like, it's going to give wrestling a black eye. <laughs> it, it cannot be it. No, impossible. You know, this is not this is not Jim Duggan and um, the Iron Sheik being in the car together. This is definitely a different. And guess what? They brought Iron Sheik back anyway, and he yeah. wasn't even good. They brought him back like ten times. Jim Duggan gets to continue. We have to keep suffering through Jim Duggan, but we can't <laughs> get Tully Blanchard back. What kind of world do we live in? Oh, this is a sad one. It's a oh man. It's a dark world sometimes. 90, we got Doom. They wrestle Flair and Arnett sometime in 90. They do. Yeah, because obviously Tully's not there, so. <laughs> hey, I love that match, too. Arnett and Flair, you know. That's a great match. Sneeze at, but holy crap. We get Tully in there as well and Barry Windham. And, like, uh, yeah. eventually Sid will be a horseman. And just imagine if it was Tully instead of Sid, how much happier our lives would be. So Absolutely. Um, I think, too. If you're WWF and you held on to the Brain Busters, like Steve Austin's still talented, Bobby Eaton's still talented, Z-Man's still the Z-Man, but you are going to hurt the hell out of 
that TV title because Arn's going to have like this dominant reign where they're going to refer to as almost the greatest reign for a long time. That's going to that's going to be catalyst to bounce all them other guys off of it in 1991, and you, that will just disappear. Oh, well, so here we are, Brainbusters Rockers, two out of three falls, and uh, these folks, again, are not hiding their problems. They're not wrestling well. At the beginning, they're looking at Bobby Heenan. He's talking to them. He feels like they're not listening. A lot is going on. Yeah, it's interesting this was taped before Survivor Series because it definitely – they wrestled it like it was after, um, even though they never explained why Tully, like, wasn't there. I guess he was just disagreeing in the the KFOB sense. Yeah. But uh, you see the focus of the Brain Busters when they fought Demolition before they lost the titles, and then the focus of Arn when he, like, dug in at Survivor Series. Here, like, the focus is just broken. The concentration is in disarray. The Rockers win the first fall almost very easily, mm-hmm. I would say. And Bobby Heenan jumps in the ring. He's beside himself. He's yelling at Arn and Tully. He even pushes Tully, and that's always Heenan's mistake, is when he gets physical, that's when it always falls apart, that's always the last word for that partnership, and it's always him that does it, he's the one who makes the mistake, so, man, they're falling apart here for sure. I love that, because as soon as he pushes him, he just throws himself out of the ring and walks away, because, you know, he knows what's coming next, you know, oh, he's, he, always, he does the same thing with, uh, with Red Rooster, he pushed him, and then he immediately, like, he knows it's a mistake as soon as he does it. But if you are a person of any temper, you know yeah. that when you are in that high temper, you will do something and you will realize a moment later, oh, my God, who did that? Like, I wasn't in my body when that happened, and that, that never should have happened. Yeah, and it, it, it's an amazing thing to watch, too. And then there's this weird thing, which is very compelling, that he leaves ringside, but he doesn't fully go away. And like twice they go back, he's still standing out there. Then they go back, and he's gone, but he's got his head peeking out through the curtain. Oh, that image of Heenan peeking through the curtain is an enduring visual for me. It's something I always remember because you see he doesn't really want to sever his connection with this team because, like, God, they were made for him and mm. he for them. And it's such a great partnership. And they got him titles when, like, almost nobody else could. So, you know, he doesn't want to do it, but he will commit before the night is over to severing that. But I will always remember that that image of him peeking his head out of the curtain and uh, it just that that image speaks volumes to me yeah it's a rare image but it ought to be a lot more common because if you're a manager at the top of professional wrestling not only like it's a very hard decision to take someone in or kick someone out out not only because it changes who you have to manage but it gives you a reputation it makes things more difficult like i would like to see a lot more angles where people don't so easily make these choices that should have ramifications for the rest of their careers. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Bobby Heenan as well. The way he talks about his men, his family, if he ever has to kick someone out and fire them, he has to eat crow. He has to create a whole new narrative. It's a lot of work. So, uh, you, you know, they don't want to split those partnerships. I hope when Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair are together, we're able to kind of view some of their conversations on prime time because they will yeah. become and they will sit at that round table and they will have conflicts at times where Mr. Perfect wonders if Ric Flair kind of conspired to get him out of wrestling um, and uh, Bobby Heenan as well. So that there will be some interesting conversations there. I love what you're saying about like the relationships and you, you don't want to be quick to break them in situations like that. Yeah. And I love that table. So hopefully we will do some of that. Indeed. Uh, 
Weirdly enough, Bobby Heen leaves and the, and the Brain Busters start doing better. Michaels uh, hops up on the shoulder to do a victory roll, and the other Brain Buster grabs him by the head and pulls him down for a stun gun, and the Brain Busters win the second fall. They do, they do. They actually start to recover somewhat, and then they get a little extra time to recover further because uh, in between the second and third fall, we get kind of a weird break, and Jesse Ventura ends up talking to Bobby Heenan backstage. Ventura throws his support behind Heenan's decision, which perhaps emboldens Heenan to say decisively, the Brain Busters brought me disgrace. They're the worst team I ever worked with. He cuts a very harsh promo against them and fires them and says they're going to be homeless and begging to come back. And they must have been thinking about a feud here because this is classic Bobby Heenan feud starting material. This is something that they must have just been at least considering. So this is a brilliant little promo. I love this moment. I just wish it had gone to something more. Yeah. If you built WrestleMania off of heated promos, you would have Dusty Rose versus the Boss Man, and you would have the Brain Busters versus Heenan and his crew because that's two weeks in a row of promos that just kept me glued and ready for what comes next. Oh, absolutely. And I, I can't speak a word against Colossal Connection versus Demolition and what will happen at WrestleMania because there will be a lot of good stuff there as well. But, man, this this is just on a higher level to me. Yeah. Again, yeah, beautiful what we're going to get, but this – this has got some roots that, to me, the roots come first. If if they were still there organically, you could still have all those matches. But the, but just that this one's up next. I agree. It really should have been. If only. I, I love the idea of babyface Arn in WWF. I think it would have been a slightly different Arn than we ever saw anywhere in any other time. Yeah, I would have loved to see it. I, I love to see any Arn, you know. But yeah. the unique Arn, you know, the one you don't see usually, is uh, especially interesting. So. Uh, Arn wins, or no, he doesn't win, but he he hits one last gorgeous yes. mindbuster on Shawn Michaels, which you love, love to see. Um, My last uh, one more Arn to Shawn Spinebuster on the way out. Oh, so good. Imagine in like '95 or '96, you know, these two, like, if mm. only. Like, what a beautiful thing that could have been. But yes. um, you know what else I would have liked? And I want Arn Anderson versus Mankind in that era. Ooh, oh. Arn Anderson versus, versus 1997 Stone Cold or yeah. Brett or anybody. Like, Arn is just one of those guys, like Vader, like a few others, where you could think of a dream match in, like, almost any time and place. You could think of ten, probably. Arn and Undertaker. Oh, yes. We got that one spine buster at WrestleMania 18, yes. 19, something like that. Yeah, so if only we could have gotten the whole thing. Yeah, I just want to see his eyes when he realizes he's going to be put in a casket. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Arn, oh, he always had the best reactions. This is tough. we got to say goodbye now to Arn Anderson mm. and uh, Tully Blanchard forever, basically. You know. It's amazing to me that the tag division in WWF was better than I could have imagined it to be yeah. pre-Brain Busters, and yet they took it to another level I could not imagine. Yeah, they elevated it to be, in my opinion, the best tag team maybe that uh, WWF ever had. Like, just in one year, they accomplished so much. They had so many amazing matches. Like, just about every time they stepped in there, uh, unless they were inflicted with the Bushwhackers, but any other time, like, they just had classic matches after classic matches. This is a great one as well. This is not even close to their best, but it's, like, a really excellent match just in and of itself. Yeah, it's telling a great story. It's doing what it needs to do. 
Vince McMahon does not let people sneeze in front of him because it's a sign of weakness. So this can't be right. But I feel like someone else signed the Brain Busters. And Vince McMahon had a year-long sneeze, and then he looked up and was like, what is that? And get it off my TV. (laughs) (laughs) There is kind of a feeling of that. What a strange thing. You listen to some of these shoots, so maybe you could dig up, like, what is the word on their run at this time? Like, I don't even know what the narrative would be. They kind of exist outside of any common narrative. Like, it's something that happened, and no one knows why exactly, but it was great. So I'm sure there's some other story, but I don't know what it could be. Yeah, I know somewhere I've heard Bruce Pritchard talk about them because that's how I knew that like, there's going to be a big money thing with Vince McMahon. But right. that that must be on a random episode, that, like a pay-per-view or, or someone else's story that covers it because – you're never going to get a Brain Buster episode, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it astonishes me. I don't think anybody has ever done anything any more remarkable than how they dragged their NWA selves in, looking like nothing but their NWA selves, and took over the WWF tag team division in the 1980s. Yeah, they, they sacrificed uh, basically nothing of who they were, except maybe a little bit of promo time um, that they normally would have gotten, and they... Yeah, they did something incredible. They inflicted a completely different style in the best way on the WWF, and uh, it just was awesome. I loved it. I'm going to say this then, because we are saying goodbye to them, and I want, I want it to be special. Ric Flair is going to come in and bring the world title so that you have the real world title, the NWA title, the WCW title. He's going to make history by winning the Royal Rumble and what might be the best Royal Rumble of all time. He's going to wrestle Randy Savage at WrestleMania, and he accomplished no greater things in the singles division than they did in their run in the tag division. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And what respect to the four horsemen that they separately came in and did these things in WWF and nobody got in the way. (laughs) And nobody got in the way is the most amazing part, so yeah, huge credit. (laughs) to everyone involved there so good absolutely anything else on the brain busters oh i think we've said what needs to be said for now but we will talk about them again i am sure next week on our yes. 80s retrospective show beautiful uh gene erkland's in the back mr perfect breaks the wwf championship man this man is out for attention he's out for his moment he's out to rise in the ranks here Absolutely, and it, this is a very iconic image to me. I could see it very clearly even before I came back to watch this episode. The, the title lying on the floor and the concrete floor, Mr. Perfect kind of crouched over it and just battering it with a hammer. It's already broken, but you can hear the clatter of the gold pieces being knocked apart. You can see Lanny Pavlo prancing around again in the background, Gene Oakland standing over just like looking somber and morose and disgusted uh it's a very iconic scene in my mind it's also an amazing connection that rick flair is going to come in with a belt that that questions the legitimacy of wwf and perfect will be with him but these years earlier perfect breaks the belt and declares this is not a perfect belt and you are not a perfect champion (laughs) yeah he's going to support a more perfect champion in the future so you know there's something to that as well this is lovely. Eventually, we'll get the Perfect and the Genius versus Warrior and Hogan, but right now, Perfect is on the mountaintop. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, even then, like, that's a big feud to be hitched on to, so he's not yeah. going to go away easily. You know, we'll give some credit. What's worse than that is we will see Mr. Perfect versus Brutus Beefcake at WrestleMania, so if you want to if you want to know the downturn, that's where it, it is. It makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> 
Oh, it truly doesn't. It should have been the genius versus Brutus Beefcake, and it should have happened in a place where no one had to see it. So, Yes. The wild thing with Hulk Hogan is that uh, he's going to get into that usual rhetoric of, like, condemning you to hell. Like, uh, you cut me to the bone, man. You're burning my soul, man. You spit in the face, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, the worst thing that ever happens is what you did to the bell. But he he can't – but first he says, before that, uh, what's worse than that is the genius got his hand raised in victory over me. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually thought this was kind of a return to form for Hogan in some ways. Like, this is a better promo than I think some of his recent ones have been. But, yeah, you definitely get some ridiculousness. He does say the worst part. Worse than the title being destroyed is that the genius <laughs> got a victory. Um and then, uh, yes, he, he, he turns up the volume. Mr. Perfect is burning his soul, as you said. Mm. But you can't destroy Hulkamania by breaking a materialistic battle. That was a great line. <laughs> uh, and then he, um, he falls on his, uh, his current standard, as he promises, a million Hulkamaniacs will unite against Mr. Perfect, and he will lead a brigade against him. So once again, his child soldiers will come out, and they will yes. fight this battle for him. I, too, thought he did well with this. He was very somber. He was slower in his speech because it has to matter. If you're WWF and you're better than everything, if someone breaks the world title, that has to matter. It really does. It really does. Okay. But, it, again, though, like what he always has is like all he, all he cares about in some ways is the material, and he keeps gathering more of it. But then he can always put the symbolism over the material and be believed in doing it in his rhetoric. So go ahead, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing the 80s have definitely proven to us is that Hogan earned what he got, and uh, he will abuse that later, and it will be hard to take. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely proven once again to me that you cannot um, understate what Hulk Hogan did in this time. Yeah, ask the ultimate warrior to respond in that way to his bell being broken. He's just going to snort and make noises and fall on the floor. <laughs> Not going to work. Yep, he will shout and scream and God knows what else he might do. So, whew, all right. That's it. That's the end of the yeah. 80s. Wow. That's the end. Oh, jeez, man. Woo! <laughs> oh, but, hey, we got these early 90s. We got 91 coming up. You know, we're looking forward to that. We got... Uh, we got, we got so much good stuff coming, but yeah, no, it's weird to be done with the 80s at last. Yeah, we are closing a book. Like We're going to be similarly moving just to a month or so later, but man, this is closing one book and opening up another. It is. It is. Hey, you know, we're, we're going to have, we, we maybe already have too much stuff to talk about next week, but we're going to have to have a conversation about who, based on what we have seen, who is going to be the leader of the 90s. That was a big conversation in WCW. And now, I don't know, I think it's a tougher conversation, actually, in uh, WWF. But maybe we'll have to talk about that next week if we have time. I love that idea, man. I would, I would definitely be up for that. It was such a big deal in the NWA. So what does it mean for the WWF? As we, it just matters, man. Numbers matter, words matter, and you're entering a new decade. It's the last one uh, so of that century. So you, you got to go with it. Absolutely. All right. We're almost out of time here, so let's wrap up. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. If you want to shout me out, give me a shout, give me a follow. Uh, also, on Twitter, I will be sending out to uh, our listeners uh, ballots for next week where we can vote on different categories and fill in some of your own thoughts, and we will discuss them on the air. That's going to be a hugely packed show. Also, 
www.lopforums.com. We're going to do the same for some of our uh, interactors on there. And uh, I think you know who you are if you're listening. But uh, if we're missing anybody, you think you're not going to get one, definitely let us know. Yes. Uh, also navigate there through WrestlingHeadlines.com, our front page. And uh, last, definitely not least, check out the other great programs on LOP Radio. We got a lot of great ones. That's all I got. Mystic, say any last words you have to say and take us home. Oh, man, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you for listening. We are closing one book, but we are opening another. And let's figure out what's there. Please go with us on that ride. But until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature